0: G'day and welcome to The Good Sources, not Q&A show. Uh, I'm Dave Pello, your host for this evening and a pleasure to be back. And it was also great to have uh, Lyle hosting for us last week along with Alexandra Marshall and James McPherson uh, taking care of things. I was, of course, getting ready for the Church and State Summit, which was an astounding success that all went remarkably well. Uh, Well, it's good to be with you tonight, and um, later on this evening we will be joined by um, the Member of Parliament in Queensland for the very, very large electorate of Traeger, Robbie Catter, and uh, we'll be talking about some of the ideas uh, that... That he has and has been sharing um, on their Facebook page recently, as well as lots of other issues. But joining me in the studio tonight is Damien Currie. Fantastic to finally get you under the hot lights, Damien. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be here in person and not download Wire. I know much, change. much you're much higher resolution in real life. <laughs> yes, most of
1: us are. <laughs> How was the Church and State conference? Were you happy with it?
0: I was. I was ecstatic with it. Good. Uh, and the reason I was ecstatic with it. And this could sound like lip service um, but I'm hundred percent sincere to the point of marveling uh, I had very little to do with it it, <laughs> it felt it felt entirely God blessed oh, that's uh, everybody you know there was an ease to yeah, everything yeah. it just worked um, we were deliberately smaller this year than last year and and it was still sold out and uh, we, we couldn't we couldn't give people enough seats because we were choosing to make it small, and a record number of people watched online. But uh, there was just a coordination between the whole event, which um, which I couldn't it have felt. Like, I, I couldn't yeah, have yeah. managed. Uh, yeah. It was too too coordinated for me. And again, I'm not not being falsely modest. It was literally just it, you know what it is. It's credit to um, the teamwork spirit, the teamwork of of Christians from various denominations. Yeah. Uh, and and various political parties, there were former Labour members there who were just loving it. Um, but the the best part was that the the arc of conversation from all of the speakers was always honouring God. Came from a whole heap of various denominations and and parties again and political spectrum. Uh, but again, just it was it was clear there was a, a uniform theme and and trajectory for the for the whole conference, which was essentially that we need to have courage. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, one of the uh, other speakers joining us on the panel tonight is David Old, who was also one of the speakers at uh, last weekend's Church and State Summit. David, welcome to Not Q&A. Hi, Dave, thanks so much for uh, having me on. Hello,
2: David, good to see you All as well. Right. How are you?
0: Now, uh, for the record, gentlemen, I'll be Dave, he can be David, so okay. we can uh, <laughs> clarify who's who um, in the zoo. Uh, David, your uh, topic, I, I don't want to talk about the summit forever. Um, I, you sure. know, we'll be releasing, um, it's just not on the agenda tonight, um, but I, you, know, you were one of the favourite topics um, at the summit because you were talking about what to do when your church is embracing false teaching and uh, you actually surprised me a lot. One of the reasons I invited you was because you've encountered this and stayed um, and I didn't Necessarily, want somebody who's going to say burn the place down, which you certainly sure. didn't. <laughs> um, I've had my moments, know, though. I've had my moments. You <laughs> really did come out strong. You really. Uh, I think one of the profound things I took away from it was you said uh, the pulpit has all the power, uh, not the pew. And and so when it comes to setting the culture or changing the culture of of what's being taught there. Um, that uh yeah that was that was um all in the power of the person preaching
2: yeah yeah so look um it was said to me a long time ago by a guy i trained with in london and uh i think it's certainly the evidence around us is that um the churches denominations that have gone downhill have gone downhill. From the pulpit, and where you see churches that are restored, that are brought back to to great uh, health, to genuine Christian gospel-believing health, it's it's from the pulpit again. Uh, and so, just um, just that word of I think just realism and caution to people as they're frustrated. One of the things I told the summit was one of the regular messaging I'm getting is from uh, people who've been in parishes or churches for years, and then uh, they just go, "What what do I do here? The the new minister's a complete fruit bat." Uh, just teaching all sorts of nonsense and allowing this kind of just garbage to go on. What do I do? And I, I'm regularly having to say, you know, there are things you can do, but ultimately you need to be realistic about about what's going on. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. How how do, how do you um well, it just I didn't I wasn't there of course um, I was yeah. unable to do this this year. But but what was the um issue for you, uh, David, that, that that arose in 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 your church Church of England? Yeah.
2: England. Sure, so I'm an Anglican, yeah, so originally Church of England back in England and now ordained in the Anglican Church of Australia uh, here. So look, the issue that most denominations are grappling with at the moment, the presenting issue is um, is sexual uh, morality and sexual ethics and so obviously questions around homosexuality and then some related questions around gender identity. What's really going on, of course, is that underneath uh, it's really about where authority is in the church. Is it is it is it really in the Bible? Does God speak to his church and rule his church through the bible properly read and understood or are there other sources of, of authority and other people who are paying lip service to the bible so uh that works its way out in various different ways in different generations uh, our current presenting issue is the the sex mad culture around us uh making us ask questions that we we would never have asked before uh, and coming up with answers that the church would never have come up with before uh, yeah so that's that, that's the main uh, uh issue for us right yeah I,
0: um, I think that leads us nicely into the topic of the week and weekend, and, and that is the rape allegations made against our, our federal treasurer. Uh, now, he has been um, accused of a rape in 1988 when he was 17 years old, and uh, tragically, the young lady who made that allegation um, passed away from suicide last year the day after she told police she no longer wanted to proceed with making the complaint. Uh, now, now, this is tragic. And one of the um, things that I'm actually most aware of right now is how fragile Christian Porter is looking. Uh, I, I think it's entirely likely uh, that if innocent, and he's entitled to the presumption of innocence, which, which is a, a facet of this topic we need to get to, but if innocent, this public uh, witch trial, this public show trial, it's not trial by media. It's actually trial by Twitter uh, and media just piling on late. Um, it's actually very. It's not at all unlikely, and we should be very careful that we're not giving ammunition. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't know how to phrase this more carefully or or accurately. I want to be careful that the media isn't creating another death from suicide because of the absolute harassment and persecution of a man who's entitled to be presumed innocent until proven otherwise. A man whose whose case the police have said there's no case to answer, uh, and 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 yet we're seeing people insist. Uh, that because the police have said there's no case to answer, there's no admissible evidence that can be proceeded upon, that they're after a different trial because apparently the rule of law isn't enough for them. They need the rule of Twitter or the rule of media trials, uh, as if the police are incompetent or unwilling to do a professional and thorough investigation to the requisite standards of justice. Uh, That is uh, truly worrying. It it. is,
1: yeah. I I mean, one of the one of the most disturbing things that I uh, heard yesterday was one of the reporters uh, saying that you haven't you haven't answered to the court of public opinion. Now, the idea of the court of public opinion, in public relations terms, uh, is the way that we frame the environment that you're in when you've got to go forward and you've got to put your case. And we use that analogy. We say it's like a court. You're going to be uh, evaluated, but it's not a real court. You no. don't stand there and say, you've got to meet the court of public opinion yeah. um, as if it's some you know, sound and functional legal uh, right. ent- entity. It mm. isn't. Uh, the court of public opinion is grossly irrational, highly over-emotional, and very, very unreliable. Mm. Uh, it's the court of mob rule, and it's the reason we have real courts so that we don't uh, require people to mm. uh, put their case in a court of public opinion, because if we did, we'd wind up with you know um the, the the Salem witch hunts all over again which exactly. is pretty much where we're at right now yeah. um so you know you say whether if if he's guilty or if he's not guilty i'm just going to say right at the outset that first of all we need to put a statute of limitations on rape claims uh 33 years is utterly ridiculous of course uh, there's now no i evidence. think there needs to be a 10 year maybe a, a period um but you you're dealing with a crime that is already incredibly difficult to prove even within a couple of weeks uh, of it happening. If someone laid charges a couple of weeks after, it'd be very hard to prove. It's an inc- it's a category one crime as it should be. It's a, it's an incredibly serious events. Um, and for these reasons, we have to be extra, extra, extra careful, right? Mm. Um, or we'll wind up, you know, with, with all sorts of horrible uh, results, as we saw with, with the Pell case. Um, lindy chamberlain lindy chamberlain um and and we're going to see it again i mean it's just it, it's it's appalling to me um that we that we are even entertaining a discussion about something that happened so so long ago i'm afraid and i, and yeah. I think we have really as a society got to say look what's a fair and reasonable period and put a statute of limitation on on crimes um like this otherwise anybody could be accused um and literally anybody
0: and that's exactly what uh what he had to say in the press conference is like if this is the new standard uh we might as well not have an attorney general uh and thank you to bill summers who corrected me I called him the treasurer before uh, christian porters the federal uh, I called him the treasurer he's the federal attorney general thank you mm-hmm. bill um and you should have picked me up on that I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> Good admission. Um, yeah, I had somebody on, on Twitter today tell me that I wasn't interested in the evidence because I didn't want a, a uh, public inquiry. And I'm like, well, actually, no, sir, you're the one who's not interested in the evidence because there is no evidence. The police have looked, they've investigated, and, and you're looking for evidence which isn't there, which is a lower standard of evidence because you don't have what you want for your preferred outcome uh like uh David- we haven't even
1: had the presenting of the basic evidence to a mm. to a magistrate for it to form whether mm. to see if there's even a prima facie case so uh, i heard a qc on abc radio tonight uh quite bombastically insisting that um this was a, a credible allegation now i did a little research on the qcs but guy by the name of jeffrey watson um and it turns out that he's a, a, a pretty well he has been criticized in the past for uh, by the law council uh, or one of the law associations, I think right. the New South Wales one, for uh, saying that he um, or call, referring to the bloody Liberal Party during an ICAC uh, um, proceeding, I think. Um, and so he he is he is somebody who has a political agenda um, on the ABC, <clears throat> professing that there is a, 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 you know this is a credible credible uh allegation well what makes a credible allegation how can an allegation that's 33 years old uh and and with all due respect to people with mental illness I mean this woman had bipolar disorder and if you know what bipolar disorder is people swing from states of mania to states of severe depression
3: mm. um
1: therefore in a state of mania there could be some degree of of, of uh, embellishment or aberration in her mm-hmm. perception of the past considering how long ago it was um so I I, I I can't see this as credible. Her parents, a lot of people forget, there's been a lot of deliberate reporting in my view, omitting the very important fact in that letter, uh, which was that her parents quite clearly said that they had repeatedly said to her throughout the years that they didn't think it was wise for her to go to the police because they couldn't be sure that their daughter wouldn't have embellished the story or embellished the situation. And that hasn't really been uh, widely reported. That's quite critical. ABC Radio this afternoon uh, talked about, um, again, uh, in the interview with, with uh, Jeffrey Watson, um, uh, they were talking about the question of whether or not that embellishment, um, uh, sorry, the question of, I've lost my train of thought now, um, the, the question of whether or not um, the, the, uh, the family wanted an inquiry to go on. Um, And then I I looked at that. I thought, that's interesting. So the family have said that they didn't want the police investigation, but now they're saying they want the parliamentary inquiry into uh, Christian Porter's uh, situation to go ahead. And then I looked it up later and it turns out that what they were saying was they wanted the police inquiry into the death of their daughter to go ahead in South Australia, not the inquiry into Christian Porter, but nobody on the ABC made that distinction or cleared that, that up. So that's the latest, as far as I know, of where always things what are they at. Leave out. But it just seems it, it, exactly, and this is the thing about media—you've got to listen to what's being left out as well as what's being said. Unfortunately, it's quite not not quite the standard it used to be.
0: Yep. Nicole Thomas says the audio's improved so much. Well done, Dave. Brett Clark says here's an idea: if you're a victim of a crime, report it to the police as soon as possible. Yeah. Bill Summers says so good to hear a balanced and level view on the circus that we saw yesterday. Uh, and and Pete Oosby, hi, Pete, says politicians could always cut taxpayer funding to the ABC. Uh, I'd love to see your comments in there. Please share it with your friends. Uh, David, tell me your thoughts on what we've said so far and whether or not, um, whether or not your, I want you to, among your general comments, um, yeah. speak to, uh, what uh, Damien mentioned in in passing about a statute of limitations is is there a a need for that? Do you think is that the problem?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you've raised that because actually that was something that I wanted uh, to take up and probably take a different view to the one that Damien uh, is is espousing. I mean, I, I join with you guys in in generally just being uh, distraught at the whole thing. Uh, not only have you got um, a young woman who's died, uh, possibly something's gone on in, in the past that's that's exacerbated uh, the mental illness uh, that uh, that she clearly uh, uh, suffered from, uh, but now you've got, as we've said, this 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 trial by by I want to say trial by media. Uh, that's part of what's going on. Trial by social media uh, mm. and, and all the rest of it. I, I, and again, I've been I've been uh, one of those saying online that surely, surely the presumption of innocence must be something that we've got to what we've got to uphold. And I think it, it's hard, isn't it, when when you've got heinous a heinous topic like this, and when when these crimes are committed, it, they're, they're just so awful that we 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 all want to see justice. Uh, be done. Uh, and yet the presumption of innocence, uh, this is a basic principle that we've got. Uh, we are prepared to let guilty people go free in order that innocent people are not convicted. That's a basic premise of our, of our legal system. And it does seem that the Correct. way that people are talking um, really really, yeah, uh, is, is, is undermining that. On the statute of limitations, I think I'm going to take a different view. I am um, having worked with a number of people that have been actually had sexual assaults uh, against them uh, and been in that field a little bit uh, i think the thing we've got to be aware of is that sometimes it takes a long long time for mm. people to muster the courage to actually report these things and while 10 years does feel like a long time and while in principle we want to go yeah if something happens you ought to go and report it immediately i think the reality that we've got to um face up to is that for some women it takes a huge amounts of time uh whole generations often will sometimes pass before they feel ready to address uh and, and front up on 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 those things i would suggest however that the things we've also discussed that that but the further back in time we are, the even more difficult it is to prove, and it's very difficult to prove anyway, isn't it? Because ultimately a lot of these things uh, do come down to uh, one one testimony against another. But I'd say that the, um, the, the, the period of time between uh, the alleged event and then the reporting of it uh, is its own natural statute of limitations. Uh, so the further away it is, the harder it is going to be uh, to, to demonstrate it. But I would be reluctant to have uh, any limit on it, just given the way that I'm aware that for some women it's really hard. And then of course, we should also be aware that we have many cultures now living in Australia where it's doubly hard for them because of cultural uh, stigmas and things uh, about this. Mm. Uh, I certainly uh, I deal with a number of cultures in the in the church that I deal with in Central Sydney, where um where when a woman is is maltreated by a man, a uh, large elements of their culture will blame her quite 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 openly. Much mm. she must have done something wrong that. That kind of stuff. So, so just a word of caution from me there, uh, even as we want to uphold those general principles.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, I agree. Uh, I, think there's a, I think there's a sensible call, uh, a sensible element in the call for a reduced statute of limitations in, in that um, I understand where it's coming from, but I'm also familiar with Andrew Evans as the leader of the Family First Party in South Australia, uh, actually removing the statute of limitations for victims of child sexual assault. Um, and many, many people were able to be brought to justice, satisfying a, a standard of, you know, a burden of proof. Um, and... and I think for child sexual assault, it has to be 20, 30 years, right? It can't be 10 years. I think it's just removed it's, altogether. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know that there is any statute there. And I'm I'm with David. I I, I get that... Maybe even within 10 years, victims of sexual assault, adult or juvenile, may, may not have recovered enough um, to be able to go through what amounts to a repeated trauma. Um, because yeah, the legal just... Process isn't just the legal process isn't um, like doing a book report. It's actually reliving over and over again immersively without the physical experience the the emotional stuff so i i get that and so i i just want to find a, a point there where we can i don't think 10 years is it um mm. I, th- I, I if there was at least the acknowledgement that the longer it goes the harder it is to prove as well as being easier to um face yeah yeah go ahead dave, dave
2: I- yeah, I wonder if I can just 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 add some 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 weight to that to that argument. One personal and one institutional. So so personally, I've sat uh, with a gentleman in his early seventies uh, who disclosed to wow. me some quite horrific abuse uh, carried out by—I'm uh, ashamed to say—by Anglican uh, ministers uh, perpetrated against him in his teenage years. Uh, mm. And I think I was probably the first person he disclosed that to. Wow. So now the 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 the. Cons- the, the the ability to get any justice at that point; uh, those 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 people who did those horrible things to him were uh, were long gone. Uh, but nevertheless, sometimes it, it just takes that long. Um, and of course the shame for a man in having that done to him by another man of course uh, can often exacerbate that but also when we were um, when we had the the uh, the um, inquiry recently they're all commissioned into uh, into the responses of institutions to child sex abuse uh, and a lot of us uh, in religious uh, organizations didn't come out of that uh, looking great one of the things that we, we did see there is many many people who were uh, talking about their their abuse as children which had happened again decades before and because of the systems around Around them, they felt no confidence in being able to report those things, and so we were we were actually seeing uh, people who had been prosecuted for things that had happened many, many years before. Most famously, of course, uh, uh, the the dean, the previous dean of the cathedral at Newcastle, uh, who um who who was rightly uh, locked away for some of the horrible things that he and and, and others uh, did to children. So uh, yeah, I just yeah I just want, again want to urge caution. Uh, our, our, our experience on on matters like this tells us that sometimes people take a long, long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would accept that as a, as a fair rebuke of my call for a statute of limitations. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, Damien, I take it I take uh, it that I you've not
2: had I take it that you've not had to sit with as many people are uh, in those experiences. No, so, I've, covered um, few,
1: I've covered a few. long trials. Um, fair enough. Of, yeah. of various people um, yeah. in in sexual uh, assault cases and things like that, and I've witnessed. Um, well, one of them was the, the trial of a Catholic priest, um, but it was a situation where there were multiple, you know, accusers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other was, uh, well, there were a couple of them, but I had a, a, a former teacher of mine, actually, that I had to sit through his trial. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, quite interesting. Um, did you escape unscathed? Yeah, I did escape unscathed, thankfully. And he was wasn't the my class teacher, but he was the trial a teacher traumatic of, um, for you? No, it wasn't actually, apart from the you know, revolting nature of the evidence, it was, sure. it was okay. But it wasn't yeah. related to anything that he did while he was a teacher. He became a, uh, a psychologist after that and was abusing people in a different circumstance. But, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I have also seen a young man go through hell uh, being falsely accused by an overly rabid um, organization. Um, and, and that case upset me a lot, um, seeing a young man being hauled over the coals for absolutely, uh, uh, you know, he, sh- he says, she says sort of situation. Um, so I just, I, I do, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult area. It's an incredibly, and as I think as David said, you know, there is kind of an inbuilt natural statute of limitations with the period of yeah. time that passes, right? Yeah. That you, you can't yeah. find the evidence or you can't yeah. get the evidence. Um,
2: I think, the lesson, surely, then, is that we we just need to be careful on both sides, right? We just need to be careful, both looking after those who make allegations uh, and caring for them in a, in a in a uh, an appropriate. Uh, uh, way and also we 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 do need to again defend this uh, this presumption of innocence and we need to do that even if um there may even be some other stuff that's going on around that's circumstantial or, or whatever that, that, that may indicate it uh, um and you know the elephant in the room is that the previous things have been said about Porter uh, and and some of his behaviours uh, being spoken about I mean now the ABC think that that's 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 now fair game and so in their in their reporting on um on the current issues they're of course constantly referring back to that uh to uh they would say i'm sure to provide context but of course uh, it, it's it's to it's to flavor uh the mm. way that things are done but we want to say even in those circumstances um yes he may have been a certain he may be a certain type of guy but that doesn't that doesn't remove this 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 right that he has to the presumption of innocence uh, Absolutely. and so we just need to be really uh really careful Mm. yeah i mean we're talking
1: about a serious category one crime here this is rape. this is not sexual harassment as hideous as it is in the workplace Mm. is a a slightly different matter um and i do get concerned when i see journalists and particularly the abc trying to frame a discussion uh with all of this and and it's pretty much what louise milligan does quite a lot with her books you know i mean she'll paint a picture and you're reading this narrative uh and then you get the sucker punch of you know well here's the big the big bit the four corners story last year apparently was supposed to go ahead with the Porter allegations in it that's why that story i don't know if you saw it that milligan did last year about the culture at parliament house when i watched that i thought this is just this is an absolute beat up there's nothing here there's no there there there's mm. no substance to this and that's because it was legal uh, apparently i understand from sources close to the <laughs> close to the production that told me. For those not was, in media, <laughs> legal um, means... Uh, yeah, it's been... The lawyers have come in and said the, you can't... You have to take that out. The lawyers have taken the and so big they, risks out of it. Yeah, <laughs> so they've taken the guts out of the middle of her of her Four Corners piece Yeah, um, and basically left this shell of a story which didn't really play very well. Try, it sounded like a bit of a beat-up trying to say that there's this culture that happens in Canberra, but it just sounded like... A bad workplace culture. That you know, you could pick a few cases. You put it together. You could say it was happening almost anywhere. I mean, I think yeah. I'm not saying we don't have a problem in Canberra. I think the problem's booze. We can get off that later. Yeah. Much, Look, I want
0: to I want to get on culture now because um, we we've got this um, we've got this article here that I was drawn to my attention was drawn to by uh, the younger Turnbull Daisy. Uh, and she's written an article saying that parents must talk to their sons about consent earlier and more explicitly. And and as you can imagine, um, as a family of leftists, uh, she's essentially saying um, that we need to basically tell boys uh, what rape is, what sexual assault is, and, and girls need to know this as well because apparently they don't know when a line's being crossed. And I'm... I'm I'm reminded of the pagan, absolute idolatrous pagan culture that Israel was before God led them out of Egypt, and then He gave them the Book of Leviticus with instructions like, "It's a bad idea to sleep with your father's wife," um, and just other things which should have been really fundamental. Um, so that was obviously a pre-Christian nation, and and I'm wondering what Daisy Turnbull's family was like, what her brother was like. Uh, because in my family, teaching my sons what consent means is entirely insulting. It's it's a complete exercise in redundancy. Uh, what I've taught them is you don't have sex outside marriage. Even if the girl's begging you for it, you, you don't do it. You, you don't get drunk. You never drink to a point where you're lacking inhibition or self-control. Uh, you don't be in compromised situations with members of the opposite sex. Um, you don't let your friends do that either. Uh, and, and so I'm wondering if you need to teach your sons uh, what consent means, um, then this is probably a really good indicator that the progressive sexual ethic has debased so far that you now need to train your children basic understanding as if they were dogs uh, who are unable to control their animal urges and they need to be trained in the very fundamentals like sit, fetch and stay uh, and don't rape. Uh, This is absolutely an indictment on the progressive sexual ethic which started in the 60s with free love progressed in the 70s with divorce on demand and and now you have to teach your sons not to rape women well shame on you if that's the culture and you need to teach your sons not to rape how about we return to the christian values which made australia a safe place to be a woman and to raise sons where we actually respect women where we treat people not as uh, sacks of meat to be consumed, but as people with not just a body but a soul and a spirit as well. And and loving them means embracing every part of their being and not just one part of their being. Uh, Daisy Turnbull said, and she quoted Mia Friedman, said, what we need to do is to teach our sons uh, to hold back a girl's hair when she's sick instead of taking <laughs> advantage of her. I'm like, why is your son or your daughter in that situation? Here's the problem: my kids would never be there. Like, I, don't yeah. take advantage of a girl when she's drunk. What? What are you doing with a girl who's drunk? She's far, nowhere near good enough. Well, for if you. you're doing
1: anything with a girl who's drunk, you need to be looking after her and making sure she's safe, which is what we did in
2: my day. You know, or, or, you'd, you'd be or, taking how about, and, getting, and protecting her from any risk. Sorry, David. Or, or how about three drinks previously? Actually, manning exactly. up and doing what men are meant to do, which is to, yes. with great care, look after the women around them. I hope yes. That's not patronising. It's patronising or anything, but it's just, just you know, who, exactly. who, what men are meant to be. And actually say, do you know what? I wonder if you've you might want to have a glass of water now instead. I mean, I um, I think the problem with with what's been said here, just that the no, I mean, no, uh, the consent thing obviously is, an, is is an important issue, right? And our kids are actually had it. Uh, uh, my my teenage boy had it at his his Christian school just a couple of weeks ago. I was actually pleased to see that they're uh, addressing that. But to say that. That's it. And the way that she said it is actually hopelessly reductionistic because it's it's exactly. it's not it's not getting what's really going on, which is that actually here's what I do with my. I've got one. I've got three kids, one teenage boy, one teenage girl with my teenage boy. What I'm doing is I'm teaching him what being a man is about. I'm teaching him that about what I actually say to him. And then hopefully, by the way, he sees me treat uh, his mother and his sister. I'm going as men. Our job is to look after and care for the women who are in our lives uh and we have various degrees of responsibility but we have a generic responsibility as men towards towards women because they are different to us and they are in many ways more vulnerable than us and that's just your job as a man now uh, I want to get you to man up uh and do that of which of course consent then is just a given right the issues of consent are just a given but they come within a much bigger package but what we've got is we've got a whole generation that's been raised a different way. They've got everything in the media telling them uh, lots and lots of different things. They're told the whole idea that, that men have particular roles in respect to women is abhorrent and patriarchal and the rest of it. And then we're surprised after we fed them a whole bunch of porn as well, uh, where all these women are sexual objects and willing all the time, uh, then, we, uh, then they're surprised. That they behave in these ways because young teenage boys are, are coursing with hormones and give them a few drinks and I'm, I'm afraid they do dumb stuff and that's which is appalling, right? But but they're yes. doing it because there's no framework around them to yeah. help them to guide them through those very very important years.
1: I think if we take that, um, you know, the the, the very strict uh, conservative uh, position that you take as, as a conservative Christian. Christian um,
0: and we... <laughs> Sorry to correct you. I'm just trying to be Christian, not conservative. No, no, I get it. Um, whether Very Leviticus cool. is my favourite book of the Bible, we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hey, it's great if you're coming out of 400 years of slavery in a pagan culture. Fair enough. Um, I would just say that I, I think that... Or feminism. We, we have a problem. We have deeper Sorry.
1: cultural problems, right? And, and I think right. feminism went off the rails of uh, to a certain extent. And, yeah. and we've now uh, said to boys, uh, look, you don't have any place taking care of women uh, i said in the podcast this week that the genders are uh, are equal uh but they are different and even though we might be moving away from uh typical gender norms of the past we can't wipe away thousands and thousands of years of you know evolution and and what god has has intended for us as obviously in our physicality um and, and in our thinking uh and i think there is a very strong case to be made that men are supposed to take care of women. And and what I find interesting in the work of Jordan Peterson highlights this a lot, which I think is fantastic that men need to be able to feel uh, a sense of heroism, heroism. Her- yeah, hero-
0: absolutely. <laughs> the right word? absolutely.
1: Um, and so young, when you say to young men, and Jordan Peterson's made this point a number of times, when you say to a young man, listen, fellow, you go out there and you take care of the of the women around you. You be the one guy in the room mm. who says to the other guys in the room, "Uh, uh-uh, uh that's not cool, right?" Uh, and I'm not talking about it in the in the what the patronizing way that, that the modern feminists do about you know mm. stand up and say you know intervene and that sort of thing. But being a real man, not an ally, not a, not an ally, be a know, man, being a man, yeah, man up. Um, and we have to get back to that. We have to get back to you know, we seem to have gone through the it's okay to cry if you're a man phase. Uh, now I think we need to maybe say it's also okay to have some stoicism. And stoicism is an interesting philosophy that perhaps we should reflect on a little bit as well. And I, I hope we're going to start to see a shift because when you give boys, young boys, this idea of this, this aspirational idea of what it means to be a good man, a good soldier, a good warrior, a good protector, mm. um, you see them just light up. I don't know if you see that in your work, David, but that was what Jordan Peterson was saying, that young men need a sense of purpose. They need a sense of 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 manhood. And if you give it to them, they'll take it. And yeah, I certainly...
2: It. I certainly do see that in my work. Um, in the in the place where I was before uh, my current role, I was a rector in Macquarie Fields, which is right in the southwest of Sydney, and one of the areas of real social disadvantage uh, in, um, in in Sydney. Uh, and uh, the, the the church that I was at had an on-site charity called Break the Cycles Quarry. and part of what they did is um, there was an on-site chaplain who did a lot of anti-recidivism work, and he worked with men who were at various levels uh, of engagement in the criminal justice system. That's a polite way of putting it. Uh, And he he developed this course called Sorted, which was a 13-week course that that guys would sit down with, some of them because their parole officers sent them there. Um, And these guys were thinking through for the first time what it means to be men. Uh, Mm. And and they'd grown up in a a culture where for a generation they had been, uh, frankly, neutered. um, And... uh, and it actually it shocked the way that the sexual revolution had worked out in these far more disadvantaged working class areas. Now, if you're sitting uh, in your in your your apartment in I don't know uh, on the on the harbour in Sydney, sipping your Chardonnay, watching the the Queen Mary uh, steam into the harbour. Um, you're probably doing a well, uh, a great job, and actually, your situation actually, in some sense, protects you and barricades you from the effects of the the crazy sexual revolution that's going on. You can afford to talk about free love, and uh, you know, and the separation of sex and marriage, and all those kinds of things, because you've got some protection against it. Um, but I tell you what, I went out southwest. Uh, 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 and I spent years there uh, with people where they were also told, doesn't matter who you sleep with, uh, don't worry about being a dad and looking after kids and, and all that kind of stuff. And with no protection around them, with no uh, uh, middle class restraint, with no uh, just the the protection that a good income uh, uh, and your status in life brings you, there was absolute carnage uh, uh, in, in, in households. And then those men who'd been raised uh, or not raised, as it were, In those environments then were themselves often not raising children Uh, Mm. and and it was it was awful and all of a sudden you see why you've got generations of men who are just just messing up because their dads were told not to do what came naturally to them Uh, and then they didn't even know what to do with their own children Uh, and and, and here we are so yeah I want to go teaching kids about consent well of course that's a proper thing to teach about, but it's just hopelessly reductionistic. It is, it is. If you don't take the whole package, you just can't take one little bit of it and think it's going to work.
0: Yeah, excellent. Look, I, um, uh, I agree we, we need to, I guess, talk to the people. We, we need to deal with the reality of where we're at, and that is a culture where uh, men, young men and young women have been taught to behave like animals. Um, and that it's okay to behave like animals, and now we need to train them like animals in, in basic um, yeah, behaviour. It's interesting. Um,
4: yeah.
0: But nevertheless, I don't need to teach my sons about consent because you they're never, if they follow my advice, going to be in a situation um, where, you know, they don't have a wedding ring on with the person that they're engaging with. like. It, that, and wedding ring doesn't mean you get to rape your wife. I don't want anybody to construe that. And trust me, people are stupid enough to construe think I might that say me. that. Yeah, what but um, what I am saying is a, a really great quote, actually. Really great, great pearl of wisdom from uh, Robin Hood men in tights. No ring, no ding a uh, So that would solve uh, a lot of the problems. Joe oh, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> no ring, no ding Uh You know uh, the... Uh, chaperone that made the nanny or whatever that made marion had um i think we've just got men, to get the sexual culture back where to?
1: Like, let's be let's face it right i don't think as religious uh i'm not hugely real i'm a practicing catholic but i i i think we've done a pretty bad job and i'd be interested to hear what david says about this because i i'd, I'd like to see what it's like from from the perspective of the church but I think we've generally done a pretty bad job of dealing with... with the Church is not great with human sexuality. Um, I think there are urges, there are issues, there are, there's the question of homosexuality, there's the question of all sorts of different um, types of... You know, there are people who are born with, you know, uh, who are genuinely transsexual. or uh, and, and I don't think as a... Transsexual? As certainly my, you mean intersex? Intersex. Sorry, I don't. I'm not up with the latest specific terms like you. Are. <laughs> Definitions are super important. I, do, I really try to ignore <laughs> sexual politics as much as I can, but um, it's not easy. Uh, but I think
0: that we are. There is a statistical occurrence of yes, of yes. biological abnormalities called right. intersex. Right. There is, yeah. and, and which isn't a sin or immorality. It's it's like a cleft palate. It's something right. that needs correction and and compassion. Okay.
1: So if if um I guess what I'm saying is we haven't collectively dealt with these issues which we've, we've been very um strong i think uh, the church has been very kind of this is it that's it you know uh I, and i don't i think society and culture has said well hang on a minute that doesn't seem reasonable uh and i think to a certain degree some of that is okay what i think we're in a state where i think we've gone now is we've gone so far to this extreme of sexual liberation and being sex positive and all of that sort of thing mm. that we are really um i mean you know, music videos are pornography now they are pornography they are. and when you said a piece of meat i thought um or animal behavior i thought of myself oh that's a bit much and then i thought no I, I, if you have a look at cardi b's last two video clips it is animal behavior it's yeah. animals um, and there is no sense of a connection between your sexuality and your and, and and respect for the other person and love for the other person. Mm. So even if we are not uh, going to going to go right back to saying, you know, absolutely no sex before marriage. Although I honour anybody who has that value, you have every right to have that perspective. Um, but even if we didn't go that far back, we've got to at least get. Let's just get the culture back to, you know, we don't jump into bed with everybody we feel like having to, you know, at, at the drop of a hat. And I would like to think that this isn't happening. Um, but my concern is that, and again, I'm a little out of touch because I've been away for a while, but my concern is that in Australian culture, um, in the teenage environment now, uh, the, the respect for sex as an extension of an expression of love and a spiritual connection is lost. Um, and it's almost a taboo to, to even suggest that. And the sex education in schools today is all biological. Ah, uh, in the extreme, I'm not saying the British system where my kids were going last year. Uh, I, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that they were being taught. Yeah. Um, and 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 we've kind of lost that completely. So I'd just like to see it come back. You know, halfway even would 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 make me a lot happier right. as a parent of two teenage girls. I just I just think we've we've fallen off a cliff somewhere. Yeah,
0: and and, and here's the the entire attack on family in in various aspects, which include. Um, the pill and abortion on demand, and government-funded childcare, uh, as well as as sexual promiscuity, um, is we've lost the value of motherhood. We, as a society, don't you know? It's it's common for a woman who chooses to be a stay-at-home mum to feel looked down upon or less than, um, even if it's not actively said, and that's a tragedy. Uh, it's common for people who choose to be faithful to one person for their whole life and wait until sex to be looked at as if they're abnormal. Um, and, yeah, I'm right with you. It would be fantastic if we could come back at least halfway to the point where sexual promiscuity wasn't celebrated as if that was a virtue, mm. Um like let's let's just call it for what it is it's promiscuity it's not the ideal way of doing things i agree with you religion shouldn't condemn people because they've sinned to the point that we write them off and devalue them another way um, yes which that's is a lot of
1: what we did in the catholic church yeah, in the 1950s and, 60s and, sure. and every
0: other yeah. church yeah. you know we, we've got to progress from that to the same point so, and that's when, why the pews
1: are empty in the Catholic Church now, I believe, firmly.
0: And you know what? Here's, <laughs> so. here's what Jesus said to that. He said to the woman caught in sexual immorality, uh, I don't condemn you to death, which was the context, but stop it. Go and sin no more. Uh, and so if yeah, we, we in the church yeah. can say, hey, look, this isn't the best for you, and I'm telling you this because I love you, not because I want to see you killed, condemned, executed for the crime, Um And so it's just not best for you. And clearly it's going to come back and bite you potentially up to 33 years later. Uh, This is really, really stupid roll of the dice. And, you know, what's not is following the manufacturer's instructions. Um, And, again, I'm just saying this is a better way to raise your children um, than, than to teach them what consent means, which assumes the worst of your children and i think when that's your parenting assumption they'll live up to your expectations
1: sometimes i think and i remember going back to school when i was younger uh we used to say oh you get the 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 really conservative christian schools or the the non the non-coed schools were where you got all the teen pregnancies because it was it was there was, was so taboo to even discuss sexual matters mm. that kids were behaving sexually in a in a in an irresponsible way when they did get mixed the mixed the sexes i went to brisbane state high which was a co-ed school after i left the catholic education system and uh i found the kids there to be much more mature well developed uh in terms of engaging with each other and 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 it seemed to be a healthier environment to me so I, I don't know. It's a tr- tough one, that one, because I think we, sometimes that extreme. <clears throat> if we're too extreme, um, maybe we we uh, get I a counter reaction. Extreme. That's like,
0: uh, look, know, yeah, you're uh, dealing with
1: the teenage hormones. You've got to I, say, I
0: wouldn't want it to be extreme, um, but I also think there comes a point where you have to say, drive the car forwards, not sideways. Uh, yeah, th- sure. This isn't to destroy your fun; it's to enhance
2: your enjoyment, safety, and longevity of enjoyment
0: <laughs> of, of this
2: yeah. great toy God's given you. Yeah. Well, um, Dave, uh, maybe I can take your illustration and just uh, bend it uh, uh, in a slightly different way. I think it's not so much a matter of, of saying, drive the car in a certain direction. I think it's more a matter of, we have just not going to be afraid to say, let's let's sit down and really talk about how cars work. So yeah, you, can get yeah, them, yeah. you can really get the maximum enjoyment out of it. Now, uh, Damon's original question was, as churches, have we got this wrong? ha? Uh, Staggeringly so, uh, along with uh, let's just let's just face it as well, uh, much of society. Uh, human beings are always more likely just to like a nice rule uh, than to uh, grapple with the the nuances of, of principles and, and 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 working working that out. And so, especially if you're if you're quite conservative, and it's much easier just to go, don't do that. And you know, just to help you out, we're not going to talk about it either. Uh, and that can be because uh, we genuinely want to protect people from bad things it can also be because we're actually we're quite embarrassed ourselves and don't know how to um, uh, grapple uh, with a topic and so um, the Christian position uh, has ended up being even amongst what I thought was quite sensible uh, um, uh, evangelical churches that that certainly I was in in my twenties is thou shalt not uh, and then when you get married thou shalt and with great abandon and with great enjoyment and so (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of true, but it's, it just doesn't grapple with with, uh, with the complexities of it. Uh, and so, actually, what we want to be doing, I think, from early age, is uh, is teaching our kids to to understand sexuality in a way that's appropriate to them. Uh, and then, as they keep getting older, keep keep addressing those things and do it. And I'm with you on this, Dave. Obviously, oh, I'm the Christian minister in the room, but do it in a way that that draws upon. Uh, the truth from the God, from the God who made us. Now, what is great about that truth, and I've been working on some material recently with a lady called Patricia Werakun who's a, a sexologist, a Christian lady. Lovely uh, great. lady, yeah great speaker she's a member of our church and we're working on some material together for, for for distribution what's great is to see that actually uh the biblical principles the biblical description of of what we're like uh uh marries up uh, every pun intended marries up very very well uh with with the best scientific research that we have with the, with what the biology tells us from everything about the distinctions between the genders and how they are there are only two genders and and and, and how they work uh down to Um, Stuff about sexual response cycles and stuff. Uh, Actually, if you look at the way the Bible says that men ought to be relating to women and and, and vice versa, you can actually see it's actually consistent uh, with the biological understanding of of, of how those things work and so on. So actually, um, we're one of those uh, crazy sets of parents where we did sex ed ridiculously early with our kids. So they were reading uh, the little cartoon books uh, with the great cartoon characters and the bits added to the cartoon characters as soon as they were reading books. Uh, um, because we wanted to normalize it, we wanted to Mm -hmm. uh, uh, get them to understand it. And most of all, we wanted them not to be ashamed of it so that when they got to the playground and their friends went, (laughs) Willy, uh, or whatever it is, um, they'd go, that's, you're an idiot i already know all about this uh and, <laughs> yeah. and 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 get it get it get it in a in a in a sensible way so um yeah. but i think to answer damon's early question yeah we we've messed it up uh, royally at times i think it's through embarrassment it's often through genuine care we just don't want people to make mistakes and so we say don't do that without grappling with with the complexities of it and i'm guessing i'm just guessing if we protestants haven't been perfect i'm probably guessing on this matter the roman catholics probably aren't competing with probably. us either.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, I'm right
2: with you,
0: Dave, um, and, and that's that's definitely the way I've done I've not taught my kids it's a thou shalt not, and, and that's yeah. the end of the conversation. We're not going to talk sure. about it ever again. Sure. Uh, like you, uh, my wife and I have determined in an appropriate, ethical, pure way that's not going to totally doom my children to counselling sessions, therapy for the rest yeah. of their lives. We've determined <laughs> to model... Um, a healthy marriage. Um, we've had yeah. lots of really open, detailed conversations about sex, and very little of it has to do with scripture, and so much of it has to do with uh, clinical psychology about the brain chemistry, uh, mm. about yeah. the, the the super glue effect, the bonding effect between a man and a woman who have sex repeatedly, and yeah. and how destructive that is to break, especially if you're uh, forming multiple attachments with different people. Through the yeah. biological yeah. reality of sexual attachment. That's right. Um, and again, we're not being, we're not being um,
2: you prudish, know prudish
0: about it, yeah. but we are being um, Christian values about it. And and this is not a Christian show. I, I can't stop being who I am.
2: <laughs> you doing um, that a lot,
0: <laughs> but um, what I do think is good policy for Australia is Christian values. And so yeah, yeah. without the because of Leviticus argument um it, it is it, it is a good idea to not sleep around for really and if you want absolutely. it if you want to use the greens argument science says yeah well, that's absolutely.
1: what i that's what we did i mean i don't I'm, I'm you know i'm in my 50s so you know i grew up in the 80s no. so yes um <laughs> so it's you know it's it's like you, you just know right you know that 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 promiscuity is not going to bring you happiness. And I think even men know that.
0: Try as you may. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, and I don't – I've never known any happy playboys in my life, I can tell you now. Yeah. Uh, most guys I speak to would say by the time they got to sort of 30, it was like, uh, you know, I just want to i just want to be with someone that I can sit at home on a Saturday and watch cartoons with and just be myself or, you know, watch movies mm-hmm. with. I don't have to yeah. perform, hey, th- you know.
2: Dave, while we're, while we're talking about uh, what we teach our kids, can we just briefly uh, combat that ridiculous notion that's been going around and on a side conversation about this whole topic uh, that somehow I am victim blaming if I talk to my daughter about um, wisdom on behavior and perhaps even clothing yes. uh, and, 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 and other stuff as though pointing out to her that um, she ought to be looking after herself and 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 not taking unnecessary risks uh, is somehow yeah. blaming her for no, something right. that happens. So all I want to say on that one, Dave, is that um, I will believe the people that say that, that they actually genuinely believe it when they leave their homes unlocked, when they leave for work, uh, when mm-hmm. they leave their cars unlocked, when they leave their uh, uh, computers and phones and wallets just lying around, on the street and particularly if they don't get their own kids to be careful when it comes just to cyber safety as well uh in all these different things dealing with these things looking after looking after minimizing risk because there are bad people out there is is never blaming the victim it's just saying we've just got to be sensible there are there are people out there who will do horrendous things it's not your fault if they do them to you but we can all minimize risks it's irresponsible surely to think otherwise
0: Yeah, I wrote an article this afternoon um, which is on The Good Source uh, just dealing with Daisy Turnbull's article uh, and the lack of wisdom in there and and also drawing into the fact that it's in the week where uh, people, leftists, progressives, were outraged because the Chief of Defence dared to tell his young cadets um, that there was a degree of responsibility on themselves to... To behave in a way and avoid situations where they became easy targets and and prey and dress appropriately of, of predators. Yeah, yeah. Uh, attractive alcohol alone. I think there was another fourth factor, risk factor that started with A. Um, but um, uh, you know, m- my point was that you know I want to teach my daughter to have enough respect for herself to understand that. Not everybody else does have the same level of respect for her. And, and so given that everybody else doesn't have the same level of respect for her, she needs to make sure that she's avoiding those situations where she can be taken advantage of. For example, leaving her car unlocked or, or you know, playing on the road at a younger age. Uh, and, and now it's, you know, what don't be drunk, don't be alone with a strange guy who may take advantage of you, um, and don't choose friends who would let you. Don't go to those events where it's possible. Um, protect yourself and you have enough respect for yourself. Um, and, and it's just a level of, of basic parental care uh, and, and duty of care from anybody in authority such as the Chief of Defence to say, you know what, I can't control other people. But you can control yourself and you can avoid those situations which are reckless, recklessly risky. Mm.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there's nothing I, I detest more than that whole uh, victim-shaming, blaming argument because I think it—it it is... It, 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 I would refer to um, uh, the, the man who wrote the book, um, one of my favourite authors, and his name has just slipped my mind at the moment, but... Uh, It'll come back to me. Not Dr Um, Seuss. No, not Dr Seuss, unfortunately. (laughs) Poor old Dr Seuss, a whole other story. Um, No, but I think the the idea that, um, you know, we have to have the other side of this conversation. Yes. And the other side of this conversation, our society is ignoring, because it doesn't want to go there. Mm. And they don't want to go there because it does lend itself to this question of uh, victim shaming, victim blaming. But we have a society that uses media and advertising persuasion uh, uses sex as to sell things. Yeah, uh, It's always been the case, but never so much probably as now uh, do we see um, sexual advertising directed at men um, in all sorts of ways. And uh, I know that there was probably, you know, that we've restricted now some of the explicit use of bikini models and things like that. But you've only got to look at some of the incredibly seductive imagery. Um, it might be more covered up or it might be a little less, uh, you know, cheesy, but it's nonetheless, you know, this is an extremely uh, strong sexual culture where where we are constantly putting before boys and young men uh, images that are, you know, highly sexualized and and in the extent of, uh, to the extent of the, the, the semi-pornographic music industry and the music videos to the full pornography that's available to them far too readily and accessibly online. Now, given all of that, um, we can't sit back then as a culture and say there's no responsibility whatsoever or there's no power in the hands of, of women. Yeah. Um, there is power in the hands of women. Young women know how to use their sexual power and they know some of them do abuse their sexual power just as young men abuse yeah. their, their physical strength and their physical power. And we have to be able to have that conversation. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the time has come where... Uh, we have to say look you know um some of the clothing and some of the way that things are uh, you know some of the stuff that you're wearing is not appropriate um and there has to be you know some degree of i don't know um you know modesty uh in the way brought back into the way that we that we dress and yeah. the way that we flaunt um and and use sexuality uh to, to attract the opposite sex and I, i'm not approved either I, I don't see any reason why a woman can't use her sexual power in the appropriate way in the appropriate place uh which is to attract a a partner um but i don't think and i don't think that women have a, have to hide their beauty or you know not decorate mm. not be decorative and design is a wonderful thing and and seeing a beautiful woman dressed beautifully is a wonderful thing but again it comes back to the context of that right it's 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 mm. this it's it is it done with respect, or is it done with sort of a brash, horrible kind of sense of, you know, just just flaunting power and, uh, and yeah. It- our culture you know? yeah and
2: dare i say sometimes uh, especially our, our young women are, aren't aren't really aware of what's going on they're actually not aware of of what they're doing but they are they are being fed again the same images about what beauty is and it's a lot more sexualized than it than it needs to be um so as you can imagine in in, in a church environment uh, we occasionally uh, sit down and have the chat and we think very very carefully about it as we're talking to especially our young guys in their 20s because they, they really want to think hard about uh relation, romantic relationships and relationships and sexuality and all that kind of thing they want to take it seriously they want to do what uh, they think is the right way uh the best way as david has been saying it before but one of the things that we have to find just a a gentle but important way of saying to 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 young ladies is basically we reckon you all want a man who looks in you in your eyes first and foremost and not somewhere else slightly lower and then saying well give him a chance (laughs) give him a chance don't you know understand what they're like understand what men are like understand the power that you have which as you said Damien can be used very very powerfully and often in good ways right mm. uh, um, but understand that and, and be wise about about about, about what you're doing uh, and also recognize why you've chosen to dress in certain ways in the in, in, uh, in the first place that you're you're swimming in this culture uh, that says uh, that can't discern between beauty and sexualization uh, it hasn't it, it, it no longer sees see, sees the distinction. Uh, we now live in a culture. I, I, I credit this term to Steve McAlpine, who's a, a church pastor in in, in Perth. Uh, he calls it not the secular, but the sexual culture uh, that, that that we now live in. That's that's the predominant that's the predominant um, uh, prevailing influence upon our culture. And the irony is, we as rel- conservative religious types, we get said, "Why are you banging on about sex all the time?" And you just want to go. <laughs> we're the ones <laughs> really we're the ones the reason we talk about it is because you guys are obsessed and somebody somewhere needs to talk some sense to you um
1: and we have to start having that conversation about female sexual power and the abuse of it we also have to have the conversation about the abuse of female sexual power in the workplace uh, because we've had the conversation about men being inappropriate in the workplace, and I think that's hopefully the the early Me Too movement, which I supported for the first few months um, before it got witch hunting. Um, I think that we need to we needed to have that shift. Um, I, I've worked in environments where there was some pretty revolting stuff going on. Um, with, with men acting inappropriately towards women in the workplace and just about every other woman you talk to has got one or two stories about that. So there definitely was yep. a cultural problem there. And I'm glad that we've moved forward and fixed that. Yeah. Um, but I think that now we have to have the flip side conversation, uh, which is um, uh, that sometimes you will find women using and abusing their sexual power, particularly quite attractive women. And that's where it gets really, you know, upsets the, the people who want life to be fair, right? Um, because the reality is that, that um, you know, that's another dirty, taboo subject that we're going to talk about, the question of beauty and aesthetics um, and the power that beauty brings. Um, so I think, you know, it's just such murky territory, um, which is why I, I tend to be a bit of a libertarian and not want government to go into these areas, because I think it's just too dangerous and too, too, too muddy. Yeah. Um, but I think as a culture, we have to maybe look at look at some of this stuff and talk about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, what I want to do now is head to a video um, that we that we have. Just trying to uh, flicker around here while um, Matt's multitasking on on a million different things. Uh, so we'll get ready for this video. But uh, the the um, the person we're about to have a, a brief conversation with is Darren Brady Nelson. He's an American-Australian think tanker, media commentator, and political advisor. He's currently based in Wisconsin, but he calls Queensland home, and I had a chat with him earlier today about his attendance and observations at the CPAC conference. Darren Nelson, thank you so much for your time with us today. Uh, You spent the weekend at CPAC. Uh, tell me exactly what is CPAC and why would the average Australian right of Stalin voter uh, be interested in what goes on at CPAC?
3: CPAC uh, stands for Conservative Political Action Conference and it's been going, I believe, since uh, the Reagan era, as I understand it. And it, it, is, it is the number one right wing conference, not only in the US, but in the planet. Now, it's, it's entitled Conservative. But in the U.S., I usually play kind of a bit loose with the term conservative, so they include libertarians, they include uh, sort of you know Trumpians, all that sort of thing. So it's a great sort of mix of, of center right and maybe a bit further right, but nothing too crazy.
0: Now you mentioned the word Trumpian. Um, that's a new word. Uh, what does that mean? Is it got a broader meaning than a a blind follower, devotee of Donald Trump?
3: Yeah, I would think so. I, I think it could include someone who literally is just loves Donald Trump and doesn't think too much about principles, maybe just loves his style, his fighting ability, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, look, is not well-defined. I've written a couple articles um, on the related concept of Trumponomics. I've written twice for one of the outfits that I write for, which is Town Hall in the US. And um, it, it's really an eclectic mix of conservative, libertarian and populist ideas. Um, right. but it is surprisingly fairly conservative. It's not like light years different from, you know, the sort of things that Ronald Reagan stood for, um, mm-hmm. not in terms of style, but certainly substance.
0: I think uh, to me it probably means uh, those people who've come to identify people like Donald Trump as, as what they're looking for in an elected politician, people who are uh, wanting to drain the swamp or, or burst the Canberra bubble, uh, people who are not interested in career politicians who promote the needs of big business, big media, uh, the academy and the entrenched uh, political and media elite, but people who are looking for, you know, actual conviction leadership and and not just following from the front. Um, so there's uh, certainly an aspect of cheekiness in it as well. If somebody didn't mind being called a Trumpian because they, they uh, just... Uh, it's like the basket of deplorables. It's meant as an insult when said on the lips of a leftist, but it's an insult to the left when somebody right of Stalin says it. Tell me. Yeah. Look, it's what, also
3: used as a, um, uh, someone who be a more mainstream person on the right might also use that term in a dis- disparaging sense. But, you know, to bring it back to sort of Australian listeners, um, it, it's, it's not far different than Howard's battlers. You know, it's, that's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the conservative parties, particularly under Trump recently, have just taken that it's its on steroids. It brought in working class, middle class people to the right side of politics and a lot of um, black and brown people, um, too. You know, not, not that we're into identity politics, but still, you know, that's been. Important.
0: Yeah. Uh, the segment's not actually about the word Trumpian, but I think it's a fashion. <laughs> you, you threw it in there. And. And, you know, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, Malcolm Turnbull, who, you know, we've got Republicans in name only, rhinos in America, here in Australia, we've got linos, liberals in name only, uh, yeah. where you've got people like Malcolm Turnbull who are absolutely authoritarian progressives um, and the believers in big government and the far green left. Um, so again, a, Trump, a Trumpian might be the opposite of a lino, just like, hey, we really, um, are interested in in Howard's battlers, uh, a return to common sense, and and bursting the camera bubble. But back to CPAC, um, what did the conference overall um, say about where the Republican Party is at in the wake of of a disastrous first month of Biden's administration for America?
3: Look, you know, uh, there were a number of themes, uh, and definitely. So sort of discussing the future of the Republican Party vis-a-vis Trump was, you know, certainly in the top three. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about Trump to start out with, but, you know, he was the last speaker on the last day. So, you know, the conference was always kind of leading up to him. You know, so all topics in many ways centered around him. Um, so I think the upshot, you know, being there for the conference and, and being there for uh, President Trump's speech was, the republican party is very much the party of, of not only donald trump uh but you know trumpianism or trumpism or you know trumpers whatever you would sort of like um label you want to use he's mm. fundamentally transformed the party sorry to use that sort of obama terminology of fundamental transformation this one's a good one because mm. you know the republicans like the liberals and the nationals in australia have just kind of lingered you know Trying to be kind of like light versions of the opposition, you know, the Republicans trying to be kind of Democrat light, the Liberals trying to be Labour light. Um, it, it's not only unprincipled; it not only turns people off from the parties, but you lose elections. You know, like um, Turnbull, who you mentioned. Yeah, he won, but he won by one seat, and he had a massive majority. You know that he inherited from Tony Abbott. Not saying Tony Abbott was brilliant, but um, obviously, it was far better than Turnbull. And, you know, so all the conservative parties, have, including the UK and Canada, they've all faced this sort of problem of, you know, they've been infiltrated by leftists of various shades, be it the Turnbull types or whatever, or even, like, just weak need, conservatives, um, and they don't help either.
0: To what extent would the rhinos uh the anti-trumpers have stayed away from cpac and and thereby i guess tinted the perception of where the republican party is at now if cpac was was the finger on the pulse
3: look they did stay away i mean i can't say for like you know whether there were some supporters of mitch mcconnell there or something like that but i can certainly tell you all the people in cut in the house and the senate who voted to impeach trump stayed away and to tell you the truth even if they didn't vote i mean the, those same you know people like mitch mcconnell romney they you know i'm not sure the last time they've ever shown up to a cpac um you know this is really uh, not the speakers but the people there are very grassroots you know the real heart and soul of, of mm. not, not just the republican party but the broader kind of conservative and liberty movement um you know these people really um uh, believe in, in, in what they're there for, and, and they want to get something done. And they, what they loved, I suppose, about Trump in particular, uh, was, you know, he said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then he did X, Y, and Z. You know, yeah. not even Ronald Reagan can claim that. Now, you know, there's reasons for why Ronald Reagan couldn't. You know, he, <laughs> he, he faced, you know, a, a Democrat Congress the entire time, whereas, you know, at least Trump got two years. Unfortunately, two years of a rhino-dominated um, House and Senate, so they didn't get
0: as much done. All they got was the tax cuts, really. Mm. Um, tell me, finally, what has CPAC revealed, if anything, uh, about this? This is certainly one of his first major appearances um, after Biden's inauguration. Uh, what's the future for Trump? What kind of role has he staked out for himself, if any, in the in the fight against uh, the evil regime of of the Democrats, Biden and the uh, potential resurgence of Republicans in two or four years' time.
3: Well, he has definitely staked himself out as the leader of the party. You know, you know, Mitch McConnell, you know, isn't even really the leader of the Senate. He is a name in like officially, but you know, he really doesn't even control uh, most of the the senators on the Republican side in the Senate. So he's definitely the leader of the Republican Party. He's unequivocally gonna um, help in the 2022 elections. He's gonna unequivocally help with, you know, trying to get election reform, because obviously if we don't get that, you know, Republicans aren't gonna be winning a whole lot anyway. Um, and he strongly hinted, although he didn't come out and say explicitly that he would be the candidate in 2024. So I think it's it's more, it's basically, it's, it's his candidacy to be had. So if he changes his mind, um, you know, where he was leaning, he was leaning towards running in 2024. But, you know, if he, he reserves the right, obviously, to decide whether he does or doesn't. Um, fortunately, we saw some great potential people who can step in. Um, not as, you know, obviously, not the same sort of gravitas or movement as Trump. But, you know, like uh, the two governors in particular, Florida, DeSantis and uh, South Dako- Dakota, Known. Um Those two, in fact, those two as a ticket would be um, very would be a great ticket if um, Trump doesn't run. Um, I should mention, you know, Trump's speech largely echoed also kind of the whole conference. Um, by far, the biggest topic that was discussed over the three days was elections, election integrity. And you know, and not only just what happened, but what are we gonna do about it? And, and what can we change? Um, there was some also some other great topics. Uh, God and religion was probably the second biggest topic. Wow. Um, so, you know, Christians um, and to a much lesser extent, Jews are there in quite big force. And, when, and Christians were talking. I didn't come across any Orthodox, but there were plenty of Protestants and Catholics. In fact, on Sunday, they had multiple services. And I ducked my head into both the Protestant and the Catholic, and they were just both full. Every, every, every hour on the hour, both were just chock full of, of worshippers. So I think that's a great sign as well, that it's, it's not, you know, kind of the, the atheist side of the conservative and libertarian movement that's dominating. It's actually the Christian side, um, and again, what, to a lesser extent, the Jewish side as well.
0: That's uh, brilliant. I can't think of anything better for the foundation of a party platform, let alone a nation uh than christian values so um well done to to cpac for that uh darren brady nelson in the united states thank you so much for your uh, update and report on cpac this year
3: glad to be with you thank you
0: well we're um grateful for darren for his report uh, about cpac grateful that he got given um press credentials to be able to pop along and uh, not have to pay for the tickets. are really expensive. Actually, have a look at the CPAC cost of tickets and then just thank God for the cost of church and state tickets. Yeah. So much cheaper.
2: <laughs> but what's the green yeah. room is good, Dave. What's the green room is good? I got to I got to experience your green room and you looked after us very well. Thank you.
0: Oh, my um, pleasure. Uh, one of the things I try and achieve with the, the summit is... Um, a time of refreshing for the speakers so it doesn't feel like they're coming to work but it, it feels like they're coming to a, a you know a, a meeting of co-belligerents where we're, we're you know just relaxing and and um talking with people who are in the trenches and and fighting and sticking our head above the parapets to um, yeah. see what the Satanists have to say about us, <laughs> which is <this laughs> thoroughly amusing. Uh, now, your show tomorrow, yes. Damien, has a whole lot of information about CPAC. What can we look forward to?
1: Well, what it's got is it features um, what I think was the best speech out of CPAC, which is the uh, the governor of a very small state of South Dakota, Kristi Noem. It does feature Trump. Yes, we do have some. He was, his wasn't speech. the best speech though. No, well, I, I just think Christine <laughs> it. it was the best articulation of conservative and classical liberal values and thinking that I've heard since this whole COVID nightmare started. Wow. Uh, she talks about how she treated her people like adults, how she didn't lock the state down, how oh, she asked people to do goodness. the right thing, how she didn't feel it was appropriate to be going and fining people um and 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 treating them like children and infantilizing them in the middle of a crisis Um, but she 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 took very much to heart the principles of liberty and fundamental freedoms and civil liberties and human rights uh and asked people to do the right thing and got fantastic compliance as a result of that without having to go out with a big stick and be uh, all police stadia about it. Genius! Ah, incredible, isn't it? Amazing! How very um, refreshing. Yeah, all you have to do is pick up a basic crisis management textbook, and it'll be in part chapter one. But anyway, you know, that's um, it doesn't all. It like anybody's wanted. ever done it.
0: That's all I ever wanted from our government was trust us, treat us like adults. You say science says, show us the science, mm. show us the models, let us criticize them, let us have a debate, and let us reach our own conclusions independently. If science truly says and it's not a political bureaucratic policy call, then what have you got to be afraid of by showing us the data that has helped you reach this conclusion? If it's so irrefutable, what, what are we idiots that we want to kill ourselves?
1: Or are we so uh, negligent of other people's um, rights and and our sense of duty and care to others that we would you know, put others in serious danger. Uh, you know, I think most people, and you only need about 90% compliance anyway, yep. um, most people would do the right thing. Yep. Um, so I think all of that, and I've been saying this right since the beginning, right since March last year, that we've just been, it's been real overkill on the part of governments and very infantile and very consistent with what I saw as somebody who left Australia 20 years ago and then came back was the nanny state, the evolution of the nanny state in yep. Australia. And this desire to be told what to do, this desire to have the burden of responsibility and adult responsibility taken up our shoulders uh, so that we can just sit at home and watch Netflix uh, and not have to be grown ups. Um, And we want to be infantilized and we want Daddy Dan to tell us, you know, and Daddy Anastasia and, uh, you know, Mummy Gladys to tell us when we can and when we can't do things. Um, To be fair to Gladys, she's she's done the best of all uh, in terms of managing this. And she actually came out front page of The Australian Today. I don't know if you saw it, but basically uh, Gladys Berejiklian saying that we now need to really sit back and reflect on the way we're going to manage this thing going forward and move to a more of a flu-type treatment of it rather, rather than… I see you send me that. Through. Yeah, and she's absolutely right. Um, we, we can't that continue with this. That was always the case. The, Stop this, counting case numbers this by is, day. This is and, the
0: nonsense of emergency powers. It's an emergency yeah. until you have time to put in place your contingency. Then it's no longer an emergency. Now it's, well, we planned for this. Because we've been planning for it because it's a year old. There's there's no emergency. This is the situation we're dealing with.
1: Another thing that we do on the show this week is exactly that. We take Dan Andrews' uh, last shutdown press conference on the 12th of February. And I do a little bit of a PR guy back analysis of it for you. So we look at... How, the, how he framed it. Because you're a
0: professional PR consultant. So yeah, you're, yeah. S- you're seeing his levers. and Yeah, so this is how
1: the messaging is struck, how it's all structured. So he, he started by framing, framing everything, first of all, in terms of this being a massive new threat of a high-velocity, hyper-intensive UK strain, mm. uh, which, of course, it wasn't in the end. Um, but if you listen <laughs> to his speech... Everything sounds incredibly reasonable and fair, and mm. reasonable and sensible. And that's Dan Andrews' performance strength. He's able to make anything sound reasonable. He's the reasonable man, like Obama. And that's his style. Yes, an extremist then, who but, sounds reasonable. Right, right, yeah. Um, and I think that I don't, I don't know about Obama being an extremist, but I certainly disagree with a lot oh, of Obama there stuff. There was
0: there was nobody more nobody more partisan in the Senate. Obama sounded like the great uniter, the great hope. Uh, he had the highest record of partisanship. There was no more partisan okay. um, senator before he became president. And and there's so many other things that, that just... Uh, but he's just such a great orator and such great charisma and presence on the stage. Yeah. It was beguiling.
1: And Dan does the whole, you know, that sort of, oh, I'm just an ordinary bloke, I'm just an ordinary Aussie mm. bloke thing. And so it builds rapport very nicely mm. with the audience. Then he sets up the thing, uh, and I'll just, I take you through the stages of it in the in the thing, and then I, the, the, the punch comes, right? Uh, so he's ready to now say, uh, Melbourne, we're locking you down for five days. We're locking the entire state for five mm. days down. Yep. There's no science, no justification for it. Uh, definitely no science for locking down anything outside of Melbourne. you really yep. lock down the whole state um so we have a good deep look at that and we just asked the question hi to all of our victorian viewers tonight but uh uh, it's time to start thinking if you're a victorian a little bit differently i think um why have we sort of accepted this uh and what happened now is we're in a situation where we've normalized it so that when the politicians come out and say oh we're taking away all your liberties for five days it's like okay or 12 months yeah uh (laughs) so it's it's really quite a dangerous situation we've moved and permitted this to happen and you know, to to be fair, um, to be politically balanced about it, I don't think that we can let our prime minister off the hook in terms of his responsibility to uh, bring bring some adulthood uh, into the room and some adult thinking into the room. Well, um, because if, we we need to.
0: If the people want to be infantilized, uh, the prime minister has given them what they want. What we have with democracy is the rule of people, whether they be virtuous and intelligent or unvirtuous and gullible. And and if they want to be treated like babies in a nanny state, then that is what democracy voted for. And it's up to us to make the case to change the intelligence and education and desires of the average voter. And we either prevail or we don't. Um, And and that's why... Uh, And
1: I've never heard a better articulation of, of that. From a leader than Christy Noem and her speech at CPAC, so I'm looking forward uh, to your show, do, Damien. Do have a it.
0: Yep, David, do you want to weigh in on this topic at all, or just uh, wait till you've heard uh, Damien's podcast tomorrow on the good well, well,
2: I'm, I'm- I'm really looking forward to the podcast that kind of thing fascinates me uh, uh, as a preacher myself I, I'm fascinated by rhetoric and presentation yeah. uh, and I'm well aware that uh, in terms of what we communicate only about 10% of what we communicate is the, is the raw content of the words there's loads of other stuff uh, that's going on that means that communication is an incredibly powerful thing it can be used for great good uh, or for or for great evil just on, on, on Dan Andrews and, and, and what he's like and his approach to freedom I, I think if any of us who are Christians were under any um illusions about uh what his view on freedom is and the recent uh bill that's passed through the victorian um government championed by him uh restricting uh freedom for people who want to uh, um explore uh, transitioning themselves uh either whether it be gender issues uh, or um or of course, uh, most uh, terribly, uh, Dan would say, uh, people who have uh, are same-sex attracted and, and don't want that. I want to explore what it might mean to, to, to work against that and reconcile those sorts of things to other convictions that they have. Uh, they've now criminalised that uh, and yeah. criminalised those of us who seek to help them. So that kind of um, uh, it's no surprise to me that the same guy that promotes that sort of stuff seems to be quite happy uh, with extraordinary restrictions on freedom. But look, I'm unlike most guys. I, I, I think it was quite necessary, wasn't it, for us to have some restrictions put in place? I mean, like it or not, COVID. Uh, clearly, uh, is very dangerous, and, and the record in in in, in other countries uh, shows us that um, the the uh, fiercely uh, freedom-loving streak of America, um, as much as we might um, uh, applaud it in some senses, has obviously also led uh, uh, to a pretty horrific uh, situation. Uh, in um in some parts of the united states although that's obviously not the whole thing that's going on it's very interesting isn't it that in a lot of the blue states it's, it's far worse than the red states uh, despite their crackdowns um but nevertheless some restrictions are required but yeah that general um thing now where we're stopping and saying hang on a minute is is this all required in this way and uh uh should this be happening and 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 the way it's happening i think yeah i'm 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 totally with um with damien on that i think we need to start asking some questions and sensible leaders will be sensitive to those issues uh, and find that fine balance between respecting people uh, and protecting them so uh, what do
0: you think about this question, David, from from uh, someone whose mother named him Entropic Dissident, uh, which is a rather unfortunate um, birth certificate to have if you have to have one. Uh, even if the COVID-19 lockdowns end soon, are we now more primed than ever to accept a loss of liberties for other reasons
2: in the future? Sorry, uh, Mr Dissident. <laughs> yeah, look, I... <sighs> I'm not sure I see it starkly, but I wouldn't be surprised if we have been slightly cooked in the pot uh, on this one, where we 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 get used to things. Most, uh, most things move in a ratchet effect, don't they? they? They move up and then they sort of ratchet away, then move up again and ratchet away, and so we get progressively more used uh, uh to things and the way they uh, the way they move um and and that's a reality we've already talked about that in terms of our own culture's view on sexualization and how we've sort of got used to more and more things that a generation ago we would have thought were out, out outrageous so uh, we understand the concept yeah i won't be surprised um uh, that's why now is the time just to be asking the right questions i think uh we need to be marked by sensible uh, questions. Uh, not, there's some r- really crazy stuff uh, going on in some uh, fringe areas and I think we want to be very cautious about uh, some of the argumentation that's been that's been made. Uh, and yet at the same time, yes, yeah, some proper cautious uh, um, and persistent questioning is important now.
0: <laughs> Entropic dissident is uh, giving us a laugh. So no offence taken. Uh, wonderful choice. Now, David, uh, I, I have been um, in trouble in times past. I've uh, been the subject of Fierce criticism and uh, accusation because I've been caught in photographs with people who've had uh, perhaps uh, misconstruable, unfortunate symbolism um, and and acquaintances. Uh, You know, uh, there are some people out there, believe it or not, who are not entirely sincere and not entirely civil, uh, not entirely wanting to engage on the substance of topics and, and rather character assassinate people that I'm seen with and, and therefore me, guilt by association. And I can't help noticing you somewhat proudly displaying the white supremacist uh, <laughs> symbol of a Dr. Zeus uh, book in your background. Uh, tell me that's...
2: Uh... I thought you were going to say the British flag. <laughs>
0: uh, no, no. Uh,
2: tell I, something... I, I, I can't believe it ended up there. I, I i thought i tidied everything away no actually about 20 minutes before um we came on air i said to my kids quickly oh let's get some dr seuss up there let's let's get it up and i said we got any dr seuss in the house and that was the best one actually there was either that or fox in socks or uh what's this bad boy one two gotcha. that's a good one uh and then finally at the back oh the places uh, you'll go, especially uh, into jail if you uh, read too much Dr. Seuss uh, to your kids. Uh, no, got it up. Uh, the irony is we were chatting. We, uh, my kids were like, why? And then one of them went, oh, yeah, because the Dr. Seuss has been banned. And what's it been banned about? And then my then um, my I'm so proud of her. Uh, my 17 year old daughter, whose mum is Chinese. Uh, and whose dad is very pasty white, as you can see, uh, and who embraces her inner Asian uh, thoroughly and loves it. When, oh, yeah, some of the um, some of the characters in one of those books were, were too Chinese and everyone got upset. Uh, and I think the ne- her next words were like, what idiots. Uh, so um, she wasn't mortally offended, although one bit of me is disappointed because fa- I could have found a good lawyer and probably got some damages for the, the unintentional harm uh, that Dr. Seuss had caused my daughter.
0: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, definitely. And um, it was a
2: self-banning. Yes,
1: Doctor Seuss Family Publishing yes. Company, but, but it? Yeah, they're self- yeah. just not publishing these five titles that have these images that uh, David was just talking about in them. So, yeah. yeah,
2: now, like we laugh, don't we? But actually, the fact that they self-censored before there was any great hue and cry just shows you how powerful now the cancel culture is. That that it's you would self-censor. That is quite terrifying, isn't it? Or yeah. alternatively, just shows you what a grit some of this nonsense has got on people.
1: Yeah. Well, also, you know, I mean, my kids are also half Asian, um, David. And and they, uh, I mean, you look at these images in the book, the Chinese caricature of the Chinese guy with the chopsticks and the bowl and the traditional Chinese outfit on. It's like, what, what's offensive about that? Are you insulting? It's an insult to Chinese culture and to say course- that we can't, you can't draw a comic.
0: And, of course, these were written in a day when the nations were different from each other, when we all hadn't become Americanized by global media and and the the machine of Hollywood and the internet and, and travel wasn't as easy as it was. And there actually were cultural distinctives about all these people. They were accurate, not... Well, yeah, I lived in Hong Kong for 16 years and we still use chopsticks, all right? <laughs> they have chopsticks. Nobody's using knives and forks. So, But I, I don't
1: use, use
2: chopsticks now. It is ridiculous. We were actually, we were actually watching... Sorry. We watched Sorry. a bit of telling together as, as our family uh, a, a while ago. And uh, in the show, someone made a stupid joke about, oh, there's my friend Hoofling Poo. Uh, and um, <laughs> and, and the guy yeah. on the show just goes, oh, you don't even know him. And, and yeah, but it's a joke. And, and do you know who laughed loudest in our house? my wife yeah of course yeah so just you know let's all let's all just grow up a little bit shall we? Uh,
0: and the irony of this of course was that um, doctor. Zeus the man was a lefty. He was uh, incredibly on the side of you know today we might be on on opposite sides except he was back in the day sensible and and for those who are not familiar with the distinctions I make, There's a big difference between a lefty and a leftist. Uh, A lefty is someone who just has a a slightly philosophical, different philosophical bent than me, but a leftist is dogmatic and radical about it. And, uh, you know, I'm not um, trying to be conservative. I'm I'm just trying to be right, uh, not right-wing, but as in correct. Um, And if I'm wrong, I'm grateful for the correction. But uh, he was very much anti-racism he very much uh, had a narrative that people should be accepted appreciated and valued for who they are that there was an inherent dignity and equality uh to all of us despite our differences that differences are uh, essentially surface deep um and and so yeah it, it's so unfortunate that they feel that uh that message uh, wasn't clear um while embracing the differences that we have what have you got i'm
1: just looking at the images um that that that, that are so offensive and hurtful um and there really isn't anything in any of these (laughs) images as far as i can see that is in any way sort of negative they're stereotypes in some cases but so are the images of the you know Englishmen in top hats um and stereotypes yes
2: i'm personally affronted by that
1: Yeah, (laughs) that top hat thing. Let's look at your ball. Well,
0: Well, uh, I
2: was was dismayed because the top hat was with the wrong suit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There you go. (laughs) The assumption that we British
2: don't know how to dress was appalling. Yeah.
0: Hopefully, we are minutes away from uh, Robbie Catter joining us. And in fact, I've heard him just join us now. Uh, He's been at a function all night and um, been held up as politicians want to do, um, very important places to go and uh, people to see. Uh, Robbie, we're going to throw you in the mix uh, really, really soon. So I I can see you're just not quite settled yet, so we'll give you an extra 30 seconds. Uh, But let me share uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, And that is um, a a recent post from CADA's Australian Party uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, And the the text accompanying this picture says, KAP, which is short for CADA's Australian Party, will continue to stand up for taxi drivers. It is shocking that rideshare operators have been allowed to come in unregulated. Once upon a time, hardworking Australians saved up and invested in a taxi licence to provide for their family. Many people invested their life savings. Governments allowing rideshare operators like Uber to enter the market unregulated have had a devastating impact on the taxi industry and it's a completely uneven playing field. As well as protecting people's livelihoods, it is also about keeping people safe and protecting the industry as a profession. Taxi drivers have a history of taking pride in their work and knowing the many roads and streets of the area they service. When you invest in a license, you've got skin in the game, so it's your interest to provide a top-notch service. Meanwhile, Uber brags on its website that you can sign up now and start driving in as little as two days. Please think twice next time you need a ride somewhere and a few hashtags there uh so uh welcome um robbie Catter. Uh, great to have you with us tonight
4: thank you very much dave apologies for the tardiness yeah uh, just uh, out here in julia creek tonight um with all the mayors and councillors and um and uh yeah look um that's that's been a very big issue for us the taxis and um i was just talking to one of the drivers last night um all for reform and competition and breathing you know healthier markets through competition that's that's you know that's a um, a reasonable virtue to have as uh, as a politician but um Mm. there's a few key points i'd like to make on the taxi industry um when when uber um addressed the parliamentary committee to my bill which was about leveling the playing field so making provide things like third-party insurance, um, mandating the security camera in the car and having a, a limitation on you know on the um, price surging. When they appeared before the committee, one of the questions put to them was, well, you acknowledge that you're currently breaking the rule by your operations, which they acknowledged and said, uh, we do, uh, we are breaking the law, but you just need to catch up like right, because people want us. At which point I felt, well, I may as well throw my parliamentary licence, you know, my ticket to operate as a politician in the bin, because I thought we go down there to legislate to, and, and part of that's keeping regulations to keep people safe, or for whatever, whether they're good or bad, we debate them out and, and make laws for people to abide by. But if you're a big enough corporation that um, feels you've got more money deeper the pockets than the government for the courts, then and you've got public opinion on your side, particularly all the young people. Then uh, you're above the law, and you can you can, and that's exactly what they said. I have an issue with that, and I'd also add the first time I've ever heard of Uber was at the QHA conference, and they had it in a regional area one year, and they one of their agenda items curiously was about Uber, and I didn't even know what Uber was at the time, and um, to which some of the hotel operators at that said, well, why the hell are we talking about a rideshare app at a, a hotels, you know, pubs association industry group, and they said, well. What's to stop them having Uber pubs selling booze um, in an unregulated environment? It'd be a lot cheaper uh, out of the back of their house or from their garage and, and kiss goodbye to all the you know, equity people having pubs. And the last point I'd like to make is as soon as Uber was legalised, you had there was a union put together by Uber drivers saying they're not getting paid enough. There's now complaints about surge pricing. There's been continued complaints about security in which case the government will event inevitably end up regulating Uber. In which case you'll you'll inevitably end up with a, a taxi industry just mm-hmm. 10 years down the track. And but all you've done is recapitalize the industry to an overseas a company that pays no tax in Australia and it kissed goodbye about 90 million in taxes. So someone better tell me where we're going to get those extra taxes from 90 million dollars the government no longer receives from Australian-owned businesses. And someone's better tell me why we're going to um, you know let someone else that's Inevitably, going to encounter the same regulations that they're celebrating that they bypassed in the first place.
3: Yeah.
4: So none of it to me made sense. I've got 33, I think it was 33 licenses in my electorate. So politically, it's a you know it's a it's a dud for me to represent. Really, it doesn't win me votes. It's not politically popular. But um, it's a principal issue, and I think it's disgusting that the government just rolled over. Mm-hmm. They should have, at the very least, made an entry fee for Uber if they want to participate in a market. You're welcome to come in, but you need to have some regulatory standards, um, and one of those is that taxis provide about 20 I think it's 20 or 25% of their fleet for disabled. Uh, there's no such regulation. There's no regulations on Uber, so uh, we're now trying to find alternate means of transport for a lot of our less fortunate, disabled, elderly, because of those maxi-taxis and disabled taxis aren't there now. So thanks very much, Uber, for that. And it's created all these issues, and it's just, to me, it's just weak government, and... Um, Maybe lack of intelligence in government. I don't know, but um, that's why I took such a strong stance against it, Dave.
0: Okay, I'm um, I'm definitely a free market kind of of person who would be naturally disposed to being anti-regulation, and I know Damien would be as well. Um, we'll come back to those arguments though. What I'm uh, I guess wanting to get your comments on, brief comments on fir- first and, and then we might see um, what uh, what uh, David Old has to, to say because uh, uh, I have no idea where he falls on, on this issue at all. Um, I know that this is a government failure um, and uh, the, the first point you made was about enforcement. Now, when Uber came in, it was the Campbell Newman government and Scott Emerson was the transport minister in Queensland. Uh, He sent Uber a cease and desist letter as the Minister of Transport, uh, which Uber promptly ignored, and that was the end of it. There was no follow-up at all. Uh, So what would you do to be tough instead of weak um, on non-compliance with the law as it is if you had the opportunity to make and enforce the rules?
4: Oh, well like I said Dave I think competition is great and um, you know we can't just we and and certainly there standards have to be lifted in the taxi industry and and you need to introduce competition to do that um, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. either that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you completely deregulate straight away or go from zero to a hundred in you know in a matter of 12 months and what I would have done is said um, you know you're welcome to come to this market we we admire the technology you bring and that and the the, you know the advantages you can bring to that market and and perhaps you can lift the standard of um you know ride share or or, um, you know uh, that the industry but if you want to come in um there's gonna have to be a service fee because there's a there's a cost and um you know anyone else entering a market anywhere else in the world has a an entry cost and um you haven't. You've just bypassed that entry cost by bypassing the regulations. The only reason that that there's um, you know a market established around those taxi licenses is because the government said to them, um, we will we'll preserve a, a place for you so that you can operate under these regulations and provide um, a protection from surge pricing or there's regulated pricing, and you'll uh, you'll be required to operate a 24-hour service no matter what as part of your license. Uh, you'll have you'll be required to have 24-hour sec- rolling security checks on your drivers. You'll be required to have a mandated security camera in every car. Uh, those sort of things. But um, uh, so, if my bill that I put in the parliament legislation was about really just um, trying to level the playing field by saying, well, you, you're welcome to come here, Uber, but if you're going to do that, you must you must have um, guarantee people you've got third-party insurance, which they couldn't. And you must guarantee people you've got a, a, a security camera because most people are accustomed to that and the customers aren't making fully informed choices because they don't really know that they've been shrouded in the security of having those regulations there they're not that well informed which um you know the definition of uh, you know the economic definition of is is having the information the participants in the market having that information so if you don't have a well-informed uh consumers they're not making um you know uh, well-informed choices so they're supporting this one just based purely on price, but they're not realising that security cameras were put into taxis following a big push when there was a mass murderer in Perth so many years ago. So they regulated from there that they'd have um, cameras and taxis to protect from, and who knows how many people that saved over the years, we don't know. Uh, but um, I think we would appreciate the fact that that was regulated and mandated, but that's not mandated anymore. Um, you yeah. know, and there's still security messages in, in Uber that are good. But um, I, you know, I just, I just can't get away from um, those things were put there for a purpose, a very deliberate purpose. And uh, sure, there's there's been inefficiencies built around that marketplace in taxis, but uh, the solution should have been that um, putting an entry price on Uber to come into the market. I think they re, they said they recapitalized some two billion dollars worth of taxi licenses, so maybe five hundred million of the compensation package to taxis should have been put back as a price tag to Uber, who I think they are a capitalised value of $90 billion. So, um, you know, I don't think it was unfair asking them to save half a billion to give to the government, to give to taxpayers, to let them exit the industry um, with some dignity. And um, we've seen suicides from a number of taxi owners who have that's just um, you know, put a servant into it. That's a fact. Um, yeah. So I think it's very poorly handled. It's handled from immature and perhaps a scared government that just wanted to be popular with the people.
0: Let's uh, head to Sydney and ask uh, one of our Mexicans, um, David Holt. Yeah. Oh, uh, what's your thought on the whole Uber versus taxis
2: regulation? Well, What a fascinating conversation. I've got to say at the the start, when I first heard that we were going to be talking about this topic, I think, Dave, I was very much with you. I'm a I'm a I'm a freedom man. And so the idea of a free market very much appealed to me. Uh, There's something quite exciting about uh, disruption into markets. I mean, what we're doing here tonight is essentially uh, uh, much the same thing. But listening to Robbie, uh, I feel myself pushed back uh, a little bit. Uh, in, 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 in the opposite um, uh, direction. Uh, I, I think I've got, I'm not persuaded by everything um, that, that I hear. Uh, I'm not sure the insurance question is quite as big, or uh, maybe I don't know as much about it. I do know now when I'm buying my car insurance, they're asking me whether I'm, I'm using my car Uh, in that way. Um, In terms of the knowledge of the streets that these guys have, um, I mean, I I worked for uh, many, many years in London, uh, where the cabbies were famous for the knowledge that they have to have. But quite frankly, now they just punch it into the GPS, right? Uh, And and it takes them there. I'm not sure that that's any more uh, a distinguishing factor. Um, uh, I mean, we talk about the regulations that are in place. I just wonder if they are maybe some of them outdated. I can see the need for safety, but I wonder if there's other ways to to in, to ensure that. Um, but I think what I'm intrigued by is this idea that the the customer is not well informed. Um, I mean, one answer to that is to say they're not informed about some of the risks and then legislate about all the risks. I wonder if another answer is to make sure that the customers are better informed about what the difference is in the product that they're getting between a taxi driver And um, and uh, a rideshare drive, uh, and then still make their decision uh, uh, based on that. uh, That puts them back in the free market um, uh, situation again. I just fear. I I get the sense there's some truth uh, to what Robbie's saying. There's something there that really needs to be uh, grasped hold of. But I wonder if it's just we're at that point in history where. Time has come for the taxi industry, and the rideshare guys have really just disrupted this in an incredible way. And actually, ultimately, uh, 10, 15 years down the track, we'll look back at this turbulent period and say the consumer won ultimately uh, because of it. Now, I I know that means that some people are gonna be out of a job and and I appreciate all that. And I think, you know, there are moments where the government sort of steps in and and looks after people as an industry uh, collapses. Uh, Maybe there's a place for that, I I don't know. But I just wonder if uh, part of it is we just gotta go, maybe the the time has come. Um, I've gotta say, I haven't taken a cab in years. I've taken plenty of Ubers in the last couple of years. And I don't think i'm dumb i don't think i'm uninformed i know you're not saying that i am but like i maybe we're just there and it's just it's sad but it's just the reality of, of the market that we're in yeah i
1: think uber had a lot of trouble in a lot of markets worldwide uh when it when it introduced and they had massive protests in paris uh from taxi drivers in the uk from taxi drivers uh right. i was living in hong kong at the time they couldn't get a grip in the hong kong market because <laughs> Taxis are cheap in Hong Kong. It's a small city with a very dense population. uh, So it's very easy to to get a taxi and and get around very quickly. Uh, But most importantly, and this is where I I disagree with Robbie, um, the the government of Hong Kong wasn't rent seeking. Uh, We have had a hideous situation in Australia for decades where the taxi industry has been one of the worst examples of economic rent seeking. Economic rent seeking is when you set up a barrier, you create an economic barrier of entry that's false. That's not actually uh, in the market for a reason. So it's different to things like having uh, requiring certain safety things or requiring uh, security or requiring uh, insurance and all that sort of thing, which I fully uh, it is the role of government to uh, develop the playing field and and keep the playing field fair for all players. And all players should have to play on a level playing field. Um, What needs to happen here is not for us to punish Uber or charge Uber for coming into the Australian market. What needs to happen here is we need to regulate Uber to the same way that we regulate uh, the taxi companies. And we need to give back the money that the government stole from those individual small businesses that set up taxis. Because it is, rent-seeking is a form of of theft. I'm a a classical liberal, libertarian. Government has no right to take that money uh, or to put up a wall or a barrier around this industry. They've used it for decades. And, and I used to come home to Australia for, go out uh, for a night, have a couple of drinks, wanna get home safely, get into a taxi and to go from the center of Brisbane to uh, Holland Park, which is like going to Ivanhoe in Melbourne or going to Neutral Bay in Sydney and having to pay $45 to get home, Well, you know you've got a problem. And the taxi drivers would say, it's not us, it's the bloody government and the licensing and all this equipment we're required to have. We need m- as minimal regulation as possible we need no government license fees and we need to give back to every existing taxi license holder today give them back their half a million dollars or at least some portion of it based on how many years they've had to compete with uber that's the step in the right direction it's not to punish uber because then you're punishing the client and mm. you're running an
2: industry for the industry instead of for the client and that's so, as free that, marketeers, perhaps as free totally marketeers, well. perhaps we're complaining about not just restrictions on the free market in the future, but actually looking back and going, "That's been the problem in the first place." Hey, Robbie, can I just say, uh, mate, um, as the panel moves against you on this, and we all seem to be disagreeing with you, one of the one of the original questions that I had in my in my head was, "How many how many guys are there actually?" with licenses how many will this affect uh because i want to get a sense of just how how big the issue is but can i just say you you answer that um from the side which is to say there's a limited number of guys in your constituency so it's not a political vote winner uh can i just say as I heard that, I just went, oh, gee, how good is it to have a conviction politician yeah. who is convinced on a principle of a matter? And um, and you're doing it not because there's votes in it, because you're genuinely convinced some people are going to really hurt from this and you want to look after them. Can I just say, even as on the on the principles of the thing, I'm kind of just going, I don't think I'm with you on the argument. Can I just say, that is just refreshing. I want to encourage you in that. Uh, keep looking after your constituents. Oh, I we had too. more MPs like that. If had more yeah, MPs like that, uh, we'd be a much happier place. Indeed. Yeah,
4: well, at least it gives a bit of uh, contrast in the debate, I guess. I, in fact, I, I'm not so sure. Um, those last comments, I'd probably agree with just about all of them. Um, uh, you know, I, that that was my position It precisely, was that um, I'm not against competition or disruptive technology. Um, I'm not a Luddite, but... I, I felt and I, I'm not familiar with that term that rent seeking, but that's, that is exactly the basis of the class action that my father put on behalf of the taxi industry is that you can' you can't um, you know, it this, create this industry artificially and then rip it away from them at the same time without compensating them. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so and that was the exact base of my legislation was saying happy to have you here guys but you've got to pay your way and there needs to be at least a set of standards because I don't think the public are fully informed on the, the safety and security that's shrouded around some of those things. And that's not to disrespect some of the you know, there's some embedded security, I guess, with driver identification and map tracing and that sort of thing that, on the Uber. I, I, I you know, I respect that, but there is definitely a, um, a deficit of, safety standards that um, that you would have to, you know, a, a, a mandatory camera in the front, that's a pretty, yeah. you know, uh, easy, well-definable safety standard. And, in fact, and if you revisit the debates with Scott them. Emerson, they agreed with this in the debates. Um, in fact, it, it's a it's a pretty peculiar thing in Queensland Parliament history, but there was a lot of disruption that night and um, there was confusion. It was a hung parliament and my bill got most clauses got voted for then they brought it back under a ruse the next day and colluded together two major parties as they realised they'd um, been, hood, well, not really hoodwinked, but they'd just, um, they'd made a mistake and they were still debating the next day in favour of clauses that they voted against, which was just still, mm-hmm. I can't get my head around that you can speak for a clause and vote against no, it and the Queen's makes a big deal out of it. But um, yeah, well, he's, he's because a, they agreed, cool they way. said, look, yeah, we should have third party insurance in a taxi. of course you should. People should be able to hop in the car and know that they're insured. That, um, but a lot of people don't realise that they weren't, and and it, it was not proven that they definitely weren't, but um, they couldn't guarantee. It. So you should just have that security. Um, they're pretty sort of, you know, I thought pretty uninterventionist sort of uh, clauses I put in there in my legislation, but it still didn't get up. Um, so and and look, I'm probably a lot more tuned into these these principal issues because I live in a regional area. And where you have market capacity, free markets work a lot better. Um, but often we're the losers in those policies, and you know, often say Australia or Queensland's way too big for one set of lo- laws or policies. And um, and all too often we're seen as the, we become an inadvertent, um, inadvertently negatively impact by a lot of these policies. So I've always got, yeah, I'm always on the front foot with those sort of things, I guess, because um, you know, the, look at every town and. I, I, it's quick to explain every town and city in my electorate is projected to decline over the next 10 years. So I'm sort of fighting for survival out here. That's why I guess I'm pretty serious yeah. about all this stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, look, I, I think the problem I have is, is actually with some of the wording. I, I agree pretty much with, with what you've said. Um, so the, the, Everything you've said tonight I, I agree with. Um, I think I don't mean to be too universal, but um, the conclusion of uh, there's a problem outlined in this picture here. Taxi license values have been pushed over a cliff in 2014. On average, taxi licenses sold for half a million dollars, certainly the value of a home. Now, for everybody's context, for so you know, um, I actually worked in the taxi industry as a driver, got a great friend who owned lots of taxi licenses Uh, and he let me drive one of his taxis on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night uh, in the city um, just to make some extra cash flow during the early days of business many years ago. Um, So I have some immersion and some experience in there, um, just for a bit of context. Now, in December 2020, after an average taxi license being roughly the same value as an average house, uh, three taxi licenses sold for three thousand um, dollars. That's basically one and a one and a half million dollars reduced down to three thousand. It's it's ridiculous. Now the conclusion of the picture says this is what happens when you allow rideshare operators like Uber in unregulated. That's the bit where I disagree. I think this is what happens when you allow government to excessively interfere in the free market and economies, which they should be keeping their sticky noses uh, out of. Uh, Now, taxi regulation was a good idea originally, and that was World War II, and it's been that long since it was a good idea. The the purpose of regulating the industry back then was to create jobs uh, and employment for those diggers coming back from the war who were unemployed. Uh, and the way of the nation looking after them was giving them jobs instead of giving them handouts. Uh, But that then became a saleable, inheritable, transferable, valuable asset which appreciated in value so on. And it stopped being about helping people to create an income for themselves. And the government artificially created scarcity which created this value. Uh, and at the end of the day, it shouldn't even take two days to become uh, a driver. You've got GPS. There's some basic laws. If you've got your licence, maybe it should only take two hours. Um, and, and so the value actually isn't in taxi driving itself but what the government's artificially created. To my mind, it's government interference that has created this problem. Uh, it's the government, not Uber or consumers, which owe those taxi because they allowed this mess to come on this should be a cautionary tale for governments: stay out of the market stay out of the economy uh as much as it is within your power um how would you i don't you know mean to put you on the pressure for some amazing innovative economic tax policy economic policy right now robbie but um you know how would you have i guess avoided that if you even agree that that was a problem that was entirely the government's making uh, in, in previous decades. Not How would you have maybe gotten the government out of the regulation market and, and made it a lot more freer and liberal and, and let the actual market yeah. licences instead um, of artificial scarcity?
4: Look, that's a very good question. I don't have a very good answer for that. Um, I said to you at the start of this conversation, I'm not against, you know, um, I'm not a Luddite, I'm not against... Um, invasive or progressive technology uh, disruption that's healthy it's healthy to improve um and and you know what a what a wonderful thing you can prove efficiencies around transport i'm sure it's still got a long way to go mm. um so i'm not sure how you get from a to b i am against governments collecting revenue on those licenses um protecting that, that space i would offer this in response as an analogy it's not a perfect comparison because there's a lot more permanency about building a unit but if, if someone, um, let's take, you know, in, in Sydney, there's two blocks of land out of Penrith and there's a developer there on one side of the corner that builds a six-pack under the regulations and the council codes and uses the building materials under the building codes and the natural lighting codes um, to which everyone's voted for, or right or wrong, that they, everyone's insisted they want these building codes to get the environmental standards and whatever else.
2: And then another builder
4: across the road bypasses all those, doesn't get any approvals from the government. Um, but he's a good builder and he uses adequate materials and he's got a good reputation around the place and he's got, um, you know, a, um, a follow-up app there where people can say, yeah, I bought his units before, he's terrific bloke. um, People would have to ask themselves the question, they're happy with that scenario because I think that's not a bad like with like. Um, yeah. That's what, because that's what we're suggesting is is moving away from those regulations that um, they have a purpose and some are good, some are bad. Some are, and I, I you know, I'd be the first to say we are highly overregulated. I mean that's what we stand to try and um, you know I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't describe us as libertarians in our political party you know, because I, I don't think that can coexist with being a champion for regional country areas. But um, the the uh, the the idea of trying to bash out regulations, I I often find myself in that position, uh, and there's so much unnecessary um, regulation put into so many aspects of our lives, but um, there must be a place where they... And if I could offer one last good analogy where I think it's the same principle at play, a seven-day trade in Mount Isa, where I come from, it's a remote, isolated community, heavy Indigenous population, um, not a lot of services there, but... um, you know the large supermarket chains keep swallowing up all the retail trade in Mount Isa, so there's less and less owner operators in the place. It's getting harder and harder for owner operators to find a place. It's not a, you know, there's not a large critical mass out there of consumers, so there's not as much uh, fluidity in the market. There's not sort of one shop closes down and someone else moves in. It's mm. it's actually pretty fragile, and um, I'm often fighting, po- and much to my disbenefit as a politician, because all the young people say we want seven day trade, and I think. You would want 24-7 trade if you could get it. Like, there is no pleasing the consumer's appetite. You know, you can, you yeah. can put an open camera, but do you like having a, a corner store? And yeah. the same people that complain about Coles and Woolworths not being open 24-7 will say, well, it's terrible in eyes. We have no corner stores. And that's the same what I'm saying about educating the consumer and saying, all right, but understand your choices will have a long-term impact on the livability of this city because... A lot of the Aboriginal people that don't have a car, well, you know, they, get, they walk to the shop and that, they benefit from that. A lot of your, your grandparents, the older people in town benefit from having that, and, um, and they would be the first people to complain in 10 years' time that there's only two or three shops to um, visit in Mount Isa and there's no shopping experience. So that's what I'm talking about, that I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to consumers, but as politicians and, and, you know, commentators, we have a lot more time to ponder and think about the long-term consequences of these things and that's where I think you could make the criticism sometimes government intervening, but I would certainly argue that um, in places, in particular in regional areas, that some of those things are just not a good, some of those policies are not a good fit and they have inadvertent yep. negative consequences that a lot of people don't acknowledge.
0: I appreciate your perspective on that and I want to explore that a little bit more. I'll, I'll flick to David in... Uh, so,
4: sorry, if I could add, Dave, seven-day trade's a great idea in Brisbane or a tourism centre. I'm not altogether against it it just it doesn't you've got to think about horses for courses yep yep um,
0: we'll, we'll finish with you Damien because I, w- I think you might be best to talk about that but I'm interested in what David says as well um, Robbie let me just say I, I think you hit the nail on the head and we'll have furious agreement between us all that the thing that has to be achieved um, I hesitate to use the words at any cost but uh, you know, it's very precious and something we, that must be achieved in this debate, whether we increase regulation or decrease regulation. I think the, the outcome that we should have is a level playing field and, and yes. even opportunity for taxi drivers uh, and Uber drivers to have the same costs, the same burdens or the same freedom and the same opportunity. Uh, and, and that has been a failure of government to, to not make it a level playing field um so 100 percent agree with you there and um and i, I really appreciate your perspective on on uh y- you know it, it's not exactly the same in some of these regional remote areas as it is in a big market uh david what are your thoughts uh on on robbie's arguments there?
2: Oh, look, I'm, again, I'm, I'm just struck by how what I thought was a simple issue actually has complexities to it that I just I hadn't right. I hadn't realized. It's easy in a big metropolis like Sydney to uh, go, what, what, what's, what's the problem here? And yet actually, again, just being reminded there are areas which are, are don't have the advantages that we have here, uh, don't have the, um, the full competition. Uh, that actually is so good for consumers when it drives the price down, but I'm just I'm I'm, I'm stuck back uh, at the at the point we were before, where uh, the issue we've got is just a disparity, isn't it, between. Uh, what's being asked of, of different uh, different segments of the industry. The taxi drivers, the burden on them in regulation is really high and the Uber drivers is very, very low. Uh, I think uh, what a lot of what we're hearing is, you know, increase the regulation, sort this out, sort this out. But actually, we're, we're actually talking about doing that. The problem in the first place was that the regulation was so extensive, the costs were so extensive. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's no simple unwinding of that now. It just—it's not easy. Which again, I think was the point that you were making, Dave. Is, is don't get don't get so stuck in it uh, in the first place. Uh, there are no there are no easy answers to this. Uh, but I just want to say good on good on Robbie for at least trying to find some.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mark Bishop says uh, we need a lot more Robbies in politics, and uh, I think a lot of people can see what he's saying there. Um, it's the hat, Robbie uh <laughs> oh, sorry we, we muted it's you it's not a
4: happy place <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: damien your thoughts on, uh, on well i think robbie's right i mean he's
1: identified the the local uh problems that you get social problems that you get from um you know these sorts of blanket policies um You know, I know a little bit about the Uber history, the fact that they went in with a deliberate disruptive policy. They knew that they were going to blow up the taxi industry in different cities around the world. They knew that they were breaking all sorts of regulations and laws. And their strategy was uh, a deliberate disruption strategy where they went in early, uh, got entrenched, got everybody using Uber as a ride sharing app. uh, And then... Once they got their bait, they knew government would be too slow to respond, as government typically is. Mm-hmm. And then government comes in and regulates, tries to regulate, and they already had a massive campaign. I don't know if you remember, Robbie, uh, at that time, I think it was uh, that the, the Uber guys sent out the the every single person who got Uber got an email uh, sent to them that they could just press with one button send it to the to the transport minister
3: wow. um, yeah.
1: to, to complain. And they, they did this in so many markets, different markets yeah. around the world was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, so they knew they they knew what they were doing everywhere, and they've been regulated to different levels in and banned in some places. I think Germany's banned them. I'm not sure about Paris, but uh, San Francisco's got high regulation on them now. So I think it is a question of simply. I mean, my view as a as a classical liberal is just, you know, the the problem, the solution to the problem is not to charge Uber five hundred thousand dollars. It's to give the five hundred thousand dollars back to the to the taxi guys. Get everybody on that level playing field and regulate around the things that you've got to regulate on. Yeah, you've got to have a certain number of the fleet that are ready to look after disabled people uh, at any time. And if Uber has to put those on themselves and pay for it themselves because they can't get drivers to do that, then that's something they should probably do. But it was
0: always the government that subsidised taxi drivers. Taxi drivers never did that out of the goodness of their heart. They were paid for it by the government.
1: Oh, were they? Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't a donation. Well, in any case, if you want to have that then, then that's got to be, you know, again, you've got to have these. And this is the role of government, in my opinion, to create that little playing field, to play a good balancing uh, effect, but to do it with as minimal touch regulation as you possibly can, not the lazy blanket regulation that we we tend to see too much of um, in, in Australia. And and we need more, uh, you know, we need more smart conservative politicians. Um, I knew your dad, Robbie, when I was a young reporter. Um, I was very fond of him. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, it's necessary. I'd love to get, I don't know if we're if we allowed to tread into different areas.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we're getting close to the point where we need yeah, to. Yeah, I suppose about we've, wrapping been, up. we've been a little bit long. But I just wanted to ask
1: Robbie um, look, for some of us, we're particularly on the conservative side of politics, we're very concerned about the state of the Liberal National Party. Uh, given oh, yeah. Peter Gleason's uh, um, expose, uh, which I read from cover to cover and was yeah. mortified by um i've just come back from 20 years living abroad horrified by what i'm seeing in terms of the political landscape in australia um just as a as a conservative politician uh with, with an independent party robbie uh, how do you feel about about how conservative politics is, is heading in australia in general um yeah
4: certainly uh, dysfunctional in queensland and um it's very clear to me what the problem is with the LNP, and it's uh, that the, for whatever reason, the National Party emasculated themselves. They've they don't uh, take the stands they have, and they've lost, um, they've lost that. Uh, they've lost that uh, mandate or that that right to be the you know the default country vote in Queensland and. The N in the LNP used to be able to win regional seats back off mm. Labor, mm. Um, but the L can't. No. And the merger has seen the L swallow the N, therefore they're not winning regional seats like they used to. And um, quite frankly, we wanted, we're want we trying to take uh, a lot of that vacuum up, and we see a lot of our um, values as very true conservative and conservative um, we feel we can win back a lot of that ground that they've lost so either they need to split back up into separate um parties which i can't see how they can practically ever do or Mm. just focus on um those southeast city values uh, you know protect the reef and um whatever else people seem to go for in southeast corner that i don't (laughs) and um you know they'll push for the (laughs) sydney olympics i won't i'll fight against it and people rally behind me in the regions and they'll probably, LNP will feel like they'll have to back it because they'll win in votes in Brisbane. But it'll mean yeah. they won't win those desperate seats they desperately need to outside of Brisbane to take government. So they've got a, um, you know, a personality disorder where they're trying to be two things at once. Labor can handle that because they still get that default old Labor union vote in the regions. And you just can't, they can't outcompete that. And that's why in 30 years they've won government once, twice um, mm. under that brand. So... it's not a thing in the organisation, it's a cultural problem they have and they have to decide to either split or um, we intend on taking up that uh, vacuum that's there in in regional Queensland, which is a hard thing to do because Labor's, they're pretty savvy. Um, They've been operating pretty well. So they need need to be a lot smarter, the LNP in Queensland. And to me, there may be some signs of being a bit more savvy and and acknowledging once they acknowledge that, they can move forward and I think they can start regaining ground. But they either need to be a Liberal Party based on winning votes in Southeast Queen, Queensland, pretty much like Labor are now, or they need to split up and I don't think they, I don't see it practically they can split back up effectively. Yeah, it wasn't, it
1: wasn't a practical marriage right from the start perhaps. No,
4: no, I think it's just a big mistake. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, uh, I want to switch to a, another topic to wrap up the night, and uh, that is the Human Rights Children Born Alive Protection Bill 2021, which uh, our fellow Good Source commentator and contributor, George Christensen, is putting to the federal parliament. Uh, and w- I will give the gentleman a, a chance to say something about this, but really, this is just for the benefit of uh, you, the viewers at home to be involved, Uh, you're sick of seeing society go down the drain and the Marxists make us ever more like, you know, a horror show, a dystopian nightmare of society. Well, this is one of those things where it's such common sense. It, It beggars belief that it's not already the law, not already the case, or that you even need to make a law to tell people to save the lives of babies born alive. Uh, and uh, about every two weeks in Queensland and certainly many other states as well with a, a similar or greater population, there's a baby born alive in a late-term abortion which is subsequently left to die, just abandoned, suffering. It's hideous and it's barbaric and there is no law to protect these babies in most Australian states. It's the same in in many, many states. But the good news is that we can stop this. Now, George Christensen has done his research and realised that the federal government has power in this area because of the External Powers Act, which means because Australia is signatory to human rights conventions, international conventions that we've signed up on, they can actually impose laws on the states to force us all to come in to compliance with that. The, the, The conventions themselves... Uh, don't enforce us, but uh, it certainly is giving the government the power to do that. Uh, So uh, there is a website where you can get more information on that, and that is georgechristensen.com.au slash bornalive. Uh, Now, it's going to need us to have a vote on it in, in federal parliament. So the action that you need to do to put this is pressure on your local politicians. Uh, What you can do is you can write, ring or email your federal politician and in Queensland in particular, you can also um, lobby your state politician so that the the party gets behind this. But ring or write to your federal politician and ask them to urge the Prime Minister to let this bill go to a a vote this term of government before the next election. Uh, And... If you're a member of the Liberal Party or the National Party or the LNP in Queensland as we we're just talking about a merged entity um, go to your local branch meeting SEC FDC meeting and we need to get motions up across the nation um, stating that the Human Rights Children Born Alive Protection Act Bill 2021 should actually be put to a vote so in your branches Put a motion up that says hey we in the branch want this to go to a vote in the Australian Parliament this term Uh, and once the motion is passed you need to ask the chair of the meeting to send it to your party headquarters in the state and, and federally also send a note to the prime minister's office with a copy of that resolution and then we need everybody watching to do this whether you're a member of the party or not contact the prime minister's office today let him know you were one of the quiet Australians who voted for him. If you did, don't lie. And would like something in return now. You're speaking up and you want him personally to stand up and let this bill go to a vote. Uh, the Prime Minister's phone number for his office. You're not going to get Scott on the phone. His phone number is 026277700. That number again to ring the Prime Minister's office, zero 02- two six two double seven double seven double zero uh that's something that's that's quite important uh david have you got any thoughts on that uh before um before we say goodnight?
2: well very briefly it's a no-brainer isn't it surely um uh, a nation, a society is marked out by how it treats its most vulnerable uh, uh, when they're most at need. Uh, and um, this seems to me just to be uh, a common sense thing that has got to happen. Um, however, do you know, what was really interesting. We had this debate in New South Wales a couple of years ago when we de- effectively decriminalised um, abortion and this matter was one of the many matters raised in the debate and, and an amendment to the bill uh, was moved uh, on this matter and the flanneling the avoidance of this issue this you know by by those supporting that that, that abortion bill uh, was spectacular to see uh, and i think actually demonstrates just the paucity of the moral position uh that, 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 that those who won't look after these these children um and advocate just leaving them to die are uh, the position that that, that they're in. So uh, you're absolutely right. This is one of those moments where I think we just need to uh, uh, get up and 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 speak. Um, I was uh, one of the many people at the two rallies in Sydney for against the abortion bill uh, a couple of years ago. Um, huge numbers, like far far greater numbers opposed to the bill uh, than um, than were then came out in support of it uh, in 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 the rallies. Uh, right. But obviously some trading was done. Yeah, uh, let's get on this one. This is so important.
0: And uh, Robbie, have you got any thoughts on on, on this at all? For against? Uh, tips on how to um, be effective from the sidelines?
4: Oh, I I'd just add I, that was very emotional. Um, you know that introduction you gave, Dave. Um, I really, I, I find it difficult to debate in this space because I just I find it so hard to try and um, understand the alternate view on this yeah. and. All I'd add is that I, I find it um, I find it really strange and such a contradiction that we spend so much time, certainly in the Queensland Parliament, about workplace health and safety laws and <laughs> all, you know, so much legislation. Perhaps seventy five percent of legislation goes around about keeping people safe and uh, you know speed rules so no one dies at the wheel. We can't have one person die. And as you said, um, just just then, the, the, you know, our most vulnerable, the ones, the babies that we're supposed to look after the most, uh, we're leaving them die on tables. I just, I can't get my head around it, mate. And, um, and I'm really, really grateful to be a part of this forum and some people that um, are willing to stand up against it because it just, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's an emotional topic. And, I, and I, um, I think last time we spoke, Dave, I mentioned uh, the irrational sort of behaviour on the other side for it. The only time in Queensland Parliament, I've been there 10 years now, Normally if you stand up and clap or something, you'd be thrown out of the room by the Speaker. Um, Well, the Speaker of the House was virtually clapping and cheering with all of the Labor government as they um, passed this bill and were hugging each other. No-one was brought to order. And, And I reflected on that moment, I still reflect on that moment, and think even people that maybe felt that they benefited from an abortion wouldn't be celebrating that issue. It's not an issue to celebrate. So then, why are these people celebrating? It's not about abortion itself. It's about that they're tearing down some of these, um, some of these institutions in society or these moral positions that we've maintained. That's what they seem to be celebrating because no one would celebrate that you're able to kill babies. I don't. That doesn't make sense. So I still reflect on that night, and it's left a very profound sort of image in my head that um, I'm still trying to make sense of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well said, um, Damien. Any thoughts yourself on taking action on this? Oh, uh, look.
1: I think it's it's about getting the message clear um, and explaining to people what correct means and what is actually. I think anybody who hear, who hears that late term abortion babies are being born alive and then left to die cannot see that as uh, an acceptable state of affairs in any way shape or form mm. so um whilst i still remain somewhat confused over uh the question of, of early term uh choice i have abs i'm a sort of a funny one on this because i have absolutely no question about late term um most and people I, don't and I, yeah, yeah but, the, but, but but this is happening how is
0: this happening yeah. in our society you, you know you, you're not robinson crusoe because during debates in every state uh if, if, the gov- if the survey is wanting the outcome of support for the bill, they will ask the question, do you support decriminalisation of women? Not a problem. If the survey is honest and wanting to gauge people's feelings about abortion, uh, they will ask a question like, do you support late-term abortion uh, and, and sex-selective abortion and... And um abortion, you know, zero counseling for women. And most people, the overwhelming majority of people are like you. Whatever position we held previously for or against, we've got zero tolerance yeah, most we, we, people we, for, for this late term uh, abortion nonsense, which some people say doesn't happen is a non-event, but it's on the record in the Parliament in Hansard, and that's a nonsense. Of course it happens, it happens far too often. Um, and what I want to know is if Scott Morrison is going to let this be voted on in the Parliament and seek to make this obvious law legislation. Because what's wrong with him if not? Like, mm. where's your mm. spine? And and the answer to that question is you're his spine. We, the voters, need to speak up with an irresistible, unignorable, not quiet australian voice yeah, and, and say this is what we require from this term of government in australia and no less i mean there's so much more that i want so much more but surely we can achieve this surely well, we yeah can you say- would think
1: and what robbie said about you know the idea that we're celebrating some sort of when we talk about abortion we're talking about uh you know pro-choice that you would celebrate uh yeah i mean there's just something it, it's not it's not humane there's something not quite right with that mm. abortion is something that you would do with deep 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 regret even in the early 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 stages and that's true. even if you're pro-choice even if you 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 thought okay there's a serious mm. uh you know reason for this or you don't believe that that um you know conce- uh, life begins at the point of conception or you think it comes slightly later you still would not be championing <laughs> or happy uh that that Certainly not the certain, way
0: Jackie Trad was. I'd
1: missed that happily. Uh, the, yeah, uh, Robbie was Probably. just
0: talking about how there was total breakdown of the normal parliamentary discipline to there being... Um, oh, yeah, no, no, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah what he was yeah. saying about the... Yeah, yeah, I didn't realise it that was Jackie Trad. Jackie Trad, cheerleader and yeah. chief of right. the pro-abortionists.
1: And the, and the uh, speaker
0: at the time that you were I don't to know. Was, who, who was the speaker for that? Sorry, Robbie, we'll unmute you. Say again. Who was the speaker?
4: Curtis Pitt from Cairns.
0: Curtis Pitt. Okay. Sorry, I just double. We unmuted you, remuted me. I was uh, doubling up on on Matt in production over there. Sorry, Matt. Um, Very good. Look, uh, gentlemen, let's wrap the show up. I'll I'll just go around so I haven't left anything unsaid. If there's anything you want to get off your chest, here's your chance. Uh, Robbie, you go first.
4: Yeah, they were. I'm really glad you gave me the opportunity because I was thinking, you're, you, I'd like to go back to the question on the LNP. Um, I think it's a bit broader than just the LNP. I, I'm a, of the very strong view, and you mentioned before being libertarian. I, I think um, I think if you apply that to politics, modern politics, there's a lack of competition in the parliament. So if you're a country politician wow, and, and you join one of the major parties, you're heavily restricted in how much you can really... Uh, there's a bit of window dressing and a bit of you know posturing in the media that while well, we could cross, but you know who's really going to take on that? I, I think we've been gutted in in Australian politics. We've morphed into these two major parties, and I, I, I can give you countless examples of where um, competition has breeds better outcomes in the parliament. So if you believe in competition, you believe I'm happy to debate um, issues and take policies into that parliament and debate them on the merits. And I'm sure, and I've I've proven I've got three private members bills through that Queensland Parliament, because you can... Well commit, and I'm a country politician. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just saying um, you know, I, I respect the Greens' right to be in that Parliament. They should respect my right to be in there. Um, I agree. But backbenchers and others should be empowered to follow their conscience, and and I think we would all um, have better longevity to the bills that pass through, so regardless of which party gets through, and... Um, I think that's a real problem in our in modern politics is that um, is the diversity in the parliament.
0: Yep, Damien, final words from you. Uh, make sure we check out the other side for <laughs> the other the side Australia. Yeah. with Damien Curry. Um, good source Scott. you. Uh, I think I've I've said enough tonight. I'm and uh, it's been a pleasure being here and lovely to meet um
1: David and Robbie, and, and uh, enjoyed the show immensely.
0: I, I love having you on, David. And um, for all those watching tonight who've liked uh, David Old's contributions, um, he has promised me he will come on occasionally. Uh, which is generous, David. How would you like to finish up? Uh,
2: uh, I'll just echo David's thoughts. It's been a, a thoroughly stimulating, engaging evening. Uh, thank you, Dave, for the invitation. Uh, let's make it maybe more than occasionally. I think I might want to be here again. Uh, I've really, en- I've really enjoyed the uh, the conversation. Uh, the ability uh, at one point for us to disagree quite quite clearly on on, on a substantive issue with one of your guests, and yet uh, work hard to find common ground and listen to one another. Gosh, if that happened more often, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Indeed, yes. indeed.
0: Rightio, well, that's it. Um, thank you for watching The Good Source. Uh, this is a show called Not Q&A because it's the leftist Q&A. mainstream media are so constantly in our ears. Yeah. Um, they're still there in this show. We know what they're going to say, but this is the solution uh, to acoustic treatment for the echo chamber. Um, <laughs> AKA, the lying harlot media. Um, What we need to empower this, we do not have the market capitalization of $90 billion or whatever it was that you were saying, Robbie, uh, that Uber has to disrupt the taxi industry. But um, with the simple democratization of the internet, we're trying to disrupt the lying harlot media. And we would love your help to be part of that. To fight fake news, just head to goodsource.news, click on support. And become a monthly contributor make sure you click and subscribe on the emails there Uh, I haven't sent a newsletter for a couple of weeks sorry church and state conference Um, but you know what if you become a supporter we might be able to get some administration help in the office and keep you up to date a whole lot more regularly produce more content and, and 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 you know encourage more independent voices to not just write articles but to also make videos and podcasts to make sure uh, that you have an alternative, honest um, and free market solution to the the big tech and big media powers in Australia. And a more informed and intelligent voter will hopefully result in a better government and better future for our kids. Um, this is The Good Source and I'm Dave Pello, and we will see you next week. Good night.